Million Scarlet Roses by Eddie Kaczynski. To Dedushka, filled our lives with roses. Living in a village, the vast wonder of childhood eventually fades into the deep doldrums of adolescence, and eventually into a necessity to see the world in young adulthood. Such it was for the man, 16 years of age, when life inside his small village turned into monotony. The resentment toward the village was beginning to grow between him and his classmates. Though unlike them, the man did not give himself completely to cynicism, and still for the moment retained that childlike wonder for the world. Yet he longed for more than what seemed to him the thin slice of life he found in his humble village. He enjoyed playing in parks or out in the forest, but little happened in the village beyond hard work and the occasional bit of overblown gossip. He was becoming of the age when the choice had to be made. Stay in and give up ambition of seeing the world, or leave and find his own way. He found himself daydreaming often coming from his classroom. He dreamed about how much he would explore and what wonders he would find in the outside world. Then he would arrive home and find his mother waiting patiently at the door for him, and his dreams would fade away. Until one day he saw a traveler coming down across the village street. He wore expensive leather boots lined with golden inseams. He wore a rich officer's uniform with a cap covering a tight-cropped haircut and eyes that shone zealously in the sunlight. Cousin! the man exclaimed. The cousin smiled, and all around the town, children jumped up from their swing sets and slides and ran over cheering for his return. He laughed as small hands tugged on the lapels of his uniform. The man ran up to his cousin to grab him in a big hug, but his cousin sidelined him to tip his cap to a group of girls. The cousin was dragged to a tree stump towards the end of the street and flooded with questions in all manner about how his three years in the world had been. He fielded them all. He talked about his travels, about him joining the military and the comrades he made there, how he had risen high in the ranks and how he was rewarded handsomely for his brave service. He showed off a medal and a scar on his chest where he said a rebel bullet had struck him. He talked of his adventures, the friends he made, the fun he got up to, and how most nights had ended up with them all being drunk. Did you meet any girls? The man asked. A smile crept onto his cousin's face, as if he was expecting this question. Oh yes, cousin. Many. The first night in the army there was this. He talked on this subject for some time, delighting in sharing critical details, some inappropriate to the young audience he was addressing. Yet the man sat there listening to his cousin's story with interest and a pang of jealousy in his heart. He eventually got to the subject of his renown at the Long Toss Championship. He took from his sack a gold medal and told of how he was the national champion for the month of July of that year. He talked of how he had knocked 345 yards in the final round of the tournament, beating the runner-up by 20 yards. Boys and girls sat enraptured by his story. Indeed, a few of the girls in the man's class looked a bit smitten at that moment. The man saw his cousin bask in the glow of his own achievement and decided at that moment that he would leave the village at the earliest opportunity. With a heavy heart, the man found his way to the nearest town. He tried not to think of his mother's wailing voice as he went away, and he focused on the dim street lamps out in the distance. He had a knapsack with all his clothes and a couple hundred dollars tied up in a roll. It was early afternoon, and he heard the sound of a crowd in front of him. He headed that way and soon found himself in a small lawn with a crowd encircling a long sand field and a few men warming up in it. A long toss tournament. His cousin had said he performed well on his first competition. The man found his way to the organizer and asked if he could join. Uh, the sign-ups closed a few days ago. Most of our contestants sign up weeks in advance. You sure you want to do this? The organizer asked. The man said he did. The organizer scanned the man, for some reason looking particularly at his arms. 
All right, $2. The man paid and headed over to the lawn where the other contestants were practicing. A group of men were lined up all on one side of a white line. All across the other side were skid marks, holes, and a few spots with chunks of metal sticking out of the sand. He watched carefully as an athlete had cradled a small metal ball in his hand. The athlete took a running start toward the middle of the lawn, stopped short of a white line, and slung the ball across the field. The ball landed around 30 yards past the white line. The athlete cursed. The man approached the athlete and asked if he could use some of his practice balls. No, I need them, the athlete said. Well, where do I get them? The man asked. The athlete looked at him incredulously. You buy them, he said bluntly. The man opened his mouth to speak, but a whistle blew, and all the athletes stopped throwing and crossed the white line to pick up their balls. The man realized that he wouldn't have anything to practice with. Ten or twenty minutes passed with the man standing awkwardly in the sand watching the other contestants practice. The whistle blew. The competition was beginning. The man watched the other contestants nervously. Eventually, the man's name was called, and he approached the white line. This time, thankfully, he was given a set of five metal balls. They were a lot heavier than he expected. The man took a deep breath, ran toward the white line, and suddenly lost traction with the ground. His face flew into the white line, and the metal ball flew out of his hands. He heard a few people burst out in laughter, and a few held back snickers in the crowd. The breath blew a whistle and disqualified that throw. The man dusted off his face and wondered if he should just forfeit the competition now. But then he remembered his cousin and that he had four balls left, so he went and grabbed another one. This time he did not trip, but he loosed the ball too early and it angled straight into the sand and skidded to a short stop. Five yards, the ref cried. More snickers, more laughter. The man was making a fool of himself. He tried again. This time the ball flew a little farther, seven yards. The man aimed a little higher, nine yards. Maybe he was starting to get the hang of this. He aimed even higher and the ball slipped out of his hands again and landed a short distance past the white line, one yard. The man bowed his head and walked off the field. As he left, he heard a couple polite rounds of applause and one or two people laughing and clapping their hands loudly at his performance. But most people stayed silent, not wanting to magnify the embarrassment of the situation. His cousin had said that when he had won the July championship, the applause was thunderous. Not a single person had stayed in their seats when he won. The man took a look at the leaderboard. He was in last, 22 yards. No one else had less than 100. The man had to hold back tears. The cousin never talked about this part. The man did not expect this to be so hard. He did not expect to have everything given to him automatically, but he expected that he would at least perform admirably, even at the beginning. Perhaps he just wasn't meant for it. Perhaps it was folly to even go on this trip, and he should just head home. The champion for the night was announced. The man forgot to clap. He grabbed his knapsack and planned on heading back to the village. Hey, kid, a voice said behind him. You got some balls on you. The man turned around. Thanks, he said, and kept walking. Wait, 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 the voice said, words slurring a little bit. I meant it, kid. You got some balls. Not a lot of skill, but a lot of balls. I like that. The voice came from another contestant in the contest, a slovenly dressed man with an unshaven face. Listen, you remind me a bit of me when I started. I wish someone had helped me out then. So I'll show you the ropes of how this game's played. How's that sound? The man's eyes lit up in surprise. Sure, I'd... The teacher cut him off. 
great. Here, go to the store tomorrow and buy five shop balls and... The teacher snorted. A new pair of shoes. Then meet me on that field over there on the far side of town about 11. Sound good? The man nodded his head. Great, the teacher exclaimed, slapping the man on the back. Then he eyed a group of women walking past and his attention turned to heckling them. The man stood for a moment, not exactly sure what had just happened. The man hefted the shot over his head, holding it as high as he could for a second. One. His shoulder already burned from the last three sets that they did. After the workout, he physically could not move his arm forward without clenching his teeth. Two. The man released the ball down to his shoulder and pumped back up. The veins in his forearms were throbbing. Three. The man had an exhale of pain at the top. The pain in his shoulder escalated. The skin around his arm felt so tight that the man worried that it was about to rip open. Four. He hefted up the shot, but he felt himself get stuck when the ball was close to his ear. He gritted his teeth and tried to push harder, but the ball stayed fixed with his arm trembling beneath it. His arm gave, and the weight of the ball sent the man tumbling toward the ground. The man panted as he lay there. The teacher groaned and continued to heft the ball above his head. He reached 15 without exerting too much effort and sighed at the fallen body of the man. We have a lot of work to do, the teacher said. The man struggled to breathe. We do this every day, the man managed to say. The teacher pulled the man to his feet. Every day. Don't start failing yet. We just got started. It had been a month since he started working with the teacher, and the man still found it hard to keep up with the workout. He had practiced a variety of exercises so that the man could have the requisite strength to throw the shot ball far, and the teacher had trained him on the mechanics of throwing the ball. The man had not thought something as simple as throwing a ball far would have so much thought required, but the teacher was able to point out something wrong with every one of his pitches so far. It had been hard, but the man was seeing himself improve. Every day he was able to throw the shot ball farther, and he caught a glimpse of himself in the town window and found that his shoulders were now bulkier and more square than when he had left the village. As difficult as it was, he appreciated working with the teacher and found himself looking forward to their lessons every day. But now the teacher was late, and not for the first time. The man had usually started to warm up before the teacher had got there, but the teacher was very late. A half hour had passed. Another 15 minutes passed, and the man decided to go look for him. He found the teacher where he expected to find him. The teacher sat around the group of rowdy men along with a few women, smiling and nodding their heads with dull attention in everything the men said. The teacher had his arm around the waist of a woman whose makeup did little to hide the wrinkles around her eyes and mouth. His other hand was clasping a mug of beer. He lifted the mug to his face and drank deeply. Rivers of brown beer flowed down the sides of the teacher's glass, across his shaggy beard, and onto his shirt. The man shoved the teacher's arm. Hey, it's past 11. It's time to train. The teacher did not react and kept talking to the woman beside him. The man stared dumbfounded at the teacher. He shoved harder. Hey, it's almost 12. God, do you ever shut up? The teacher yelled, turning bloodshot eyes toward the man. Every day I help this ungrateful little bastard and all he does is complain. Can't I spend a single day enjoying myself and not having to whip your pitiful ass in the shape? Are you going to expect me to wipe your ass for you after this? Not a single person helped me since I was a fucking kid. His voice cracked at the end of this one. Not my ma, not my pa, nobody. Everything I ever got, I got because I worked for it. And now that I've pulled myself out of the gutter, now what? 
I gotta help some fucking kid. The teacher pulled the mug towards his face and drank. He pulled the mug away and took a deep breath. You want some help? You want a lesson? Here's a fucking lesson, he said. It'll be my last lesson to you. Ain't nobody out there that's gonna save you. Nobody gives a shit. If you want to train, he eyed the man. Do it your fucking self. The man and the teacher looked at each other for a long moment, the teacher breathing deeply. The bar had become quiet. Slowly, the teacher grunted and pulled himself back to his beer, the woman beside him now wearing a scowl. The man stared at the back of the teacher's head for a long moment, then he slowly turned and walked towards the bar door. You shouldn't have said that, the painted woman said. He's just a kid. The man walked out the bar and headed back toward the field. He picked up the shot ball and started hefting it above his head. After a few more weeks of training, the man found that he was becoming much better at throwing the ball a long distance. He thought again of joining the town's tournament, but he worried that he would embarrass himself again. When he was not training, he walked through the town, eating at cheap taverns and spending time enjoying sights of the sparse nature and the people in the town. Eventually, in his walks, he found a fitness club. He went into the club and quickly recognized a few of the athletes he had seen at the long toss competition. He saw machinery that seemed to do exactly what the teacher taught him, except with increasing and decreasing scales of weights. He saw a whole arena outside dedicated just to long toss training. But more importantly, he saw that the street the gymnasium was on had a lot of pretty girls taking walks or sitting at cafes. He decided to join. The man spent more time at the club than he did at the field. When he worked on his pitch, he was even able to get a couple tips from the other athletes at the gym. Eventually, the man started to feel pretty good about how he looked and how much better he was playing. From the gymnasium window, he often saw the same group of girls walking down the street. Sometime after four, one day he got an idea. The man lined up outside that window at 3.45, dusted off his pants and shirt, and leaned across the gym's brick wall, trying his hardest to look cool. At 4.05, the man felt like he had gone too early. The gym's brick wall was painful to lean on, but the man dared not go back inside. The man saw the girls approaching. He took a deep breath and got his line ready. What's up, ladies? The man said, trying to sound suave. They either did not hear him or pretended he wasn't there. They walked right past him. The man slumped his shoulders. He walked back inside, feeling foolish. The September competition for long toss had arrived for the town. The man had been away from home for four months. He sat in the pit with the other contestants. His teacher sat two seats to his right, a couple spots before him. But the man paid no attention to him. He was talking to a contestant to his left, who was close to his same age. A few months younger, but a whole head taller than him. They had a good talk. The man told him where he came from, and the other contestant told him how his father had wanted him to be a contender in lawn toss from an early age. The man's turn in the toss was up. The contestant wished him luck. When the man stepped up, he started hearing what he had been afraid of. People had remembered his last performance, and gave a few laughs and exclamations of glee at his forthcoming failure. The man took a deep breath, ran toward the line, hefting his first ball, and sighed. He had already messed up. He'd forgotten to follow through on the pitch, and the ball tumbled toward the ground. However, the extra weight he had trained with from practice had paid off. The ball had went 15 yards. Not terrific, but certainly enough to shut up the jeering voices in the crowd. The man did not perform too well and hit his round. He managed to get the ball 32 yards on his third throw, but he miffed the last two and ended up with a score of 115. The man was disappointed. Once on a particularly good day in practice, he was able to get 200. 
Those results ended up not being very reproducible, but he still expected more than 115 yards. The feeling went away when he saw the leaderboards, however. He was third from last this time, 22nd total. Not too bad given how poorly his previous attempt went. And what was more, he was only 10 yards behind the teacher. Another month and he'd probably surpass him. The man smiled. He might not have started off as great as his cousin, but the man felt he might not be too far behind. He sat down on the bench. Great job, man, the competitors next to him said. Thank you, the man said. It's very inspiring to see you go out there and try. It's very impressive that someone like you can go out and put on a good show. Someone like me? The man asked. Before the man could ask what he meant, the whistle blew and the competitor walked onto the field. Good job, kid, the teacher said over the man's shoulders. Thanks, the man said, trying not to engage. I'll be honest, kid. I didn't think you had it in you, the teacher said. With that scrawny frame and those small arms, I thought all you'd ever be was a laughing stock. Proved me wrong, sure as shit. The competitor stepped up. Even from the pit, it was visible the grace and ease with which he carried himself as he stood up to the plate. Now look at that fucker. He's a big one. A few years from now, we're going to be talking about how we were in the same pit as him. Oh, that'll be a story. You think he'll be a champion? The man asked. The teacher spat. Can't tell you if he'll win, but he's not like to stay here with us for very long, I'll tell you that. The man hesitated. Do you think I could win a championship? The teacher guffawed. The other contestants turned to stare, and the contestant between them shifted uncomfortably. But the teacher stopped laughing when he saw the look on the man's face. Ah, shit, kid. You ain't serious, is ya? The teacher sighed. Listen, kid, take a look around ya. Every one of us is taller than ya. We got longer arms than ya. We've been doing this for fucking years. Take a look at him. The teacher pointed to the contender. Look at how big he is, how much muscle he got on that frame. You couldn't do that in three lifetimes, what he's done in a tenth of one. Listen, kid, I thought you were doing this just to have fun. And the fact that you beat anybody today shows me that there are some sorry fuckers sitting on this bench. A few athletes looked in the teacher's direction. But if you think you can win a championship being the way you are, the teacher paused. I'd give that dream up if I were you. The man didn't respond to that. He sat in silence watching the contender. He easily smashed the man and the teacher's score in three throws of the ball. By the end of the preliminary round, no other athlete was within 20 yards of him. In the final round, he beat the other two contestants by 30. The man hardly moved during all of this. How could this be? His cousin wasn't that different of a build than he was, and he had gone way beyond this level. He had done what the teacher said the contender might not even do. Was there something about the cousin that made him win? Was there something about the man that made him lose? He spent a long time in thought, considered taking the teacher's advice and going home. But the longer he thought about it, the less sense it seemed to make. His cousin wasn't that much bigger than him, and he was able to win a championship. Plus, something about the idea that there were just some people destined to lose and some destined to win sat wrong with him. There was something that the teacher was missing, Something that his cousin had figured out that the man had to figure out now. The man looked up from the ground, his resolve doubling. The man watched the award ceremony, listening to how the referee explained that the contender now had the chance to compete in the monthly championship 
in the city to the south. He applauded politely while the medal was slung across the contender's neck. Then he and the rest of the contestants picked up their gear and started heading towards the exit. Hey, good show there, son, a man in uniform said to him. Thanks, the man said meekly. I've seen you at the club a few times. You really work hard in there. I can tell from watching you today that you put in some work on that pitch of yours. The man perked up. Thanks, I appreciate it. The soldier clapped a hand on the man's shoulder. I could use a hard-working young man like you in my squad. We have a little base on the other side of town, perfect boot camp for young men looking to get a little bit of spare change, the soldier winked. The army. The man had completely forgotten about how his cousin had joined the army. The man was running low on the money he had brought from the village and was thinking of sending a letter to ask for some from home. Do you have a barracks? the man asked. Yes, and a mess hall, three meals a day during training. The man thought, sure, when can I join? The soldier had a wide smile on his face. boy. Come over on Monday, 6 a.m. sharp. We'll get you started. The soldier reached out an enthusiastic hand, and the man shook it. The man walked along with a jump in his step. Even though he had almost thought of quitting earlier in the night, he felt like he was following well in his cousin's footsteps. He would continue on his journey and see how far it would take him. He did not know if he could do it, but he didn't want to leave. He wanted to see how far he could get in the attempt. He saw a group of girls walking in front of him. He tried his luck again. Hey, y'all, did you see how I did tonight? The girls looked over, slightly annoyed. Didn't you get last? One asked. The man's cheeks flushed. 22nd. A few of the girls laughed. Well, at least you're honest. Have a good night, kiddo. Thanks, the man said as he walked in the other direction, with a little less jump in his step. Two years had passed since the man left his humble village. He was now 19 years old. Joining the army had been hard at first, but after the first few weeks of boot camp, he saw the persistence and dedication required to become a good soldier and started to relish the training. This was what the man thought the cousin had found, the discipline that separated those who won from those who lost. He saw it come through in his pitching and in his performance at the arena. He had come in last a few more times since his second tournament, but he was steadily improving since then. He even came fourth in the preliminary round two months prior, only 13 yards away from entering the final round. The man felt like one of these months he would finally break through. When he got to the final round, there was a one in three shot to win in his mind. And if he won the local championship, then he could start competing for the national championship. The man was proud, but he couldn't help feeling a little bit disappointed. His cousin had only stayed out in the world a year longer than this, and the man wasn't even close to accomplishing what he had. He did not have even close to the skill or money or luck with girls that his cousin had. The man still had a year, though, and every day he pressed on. Life was not all misery in training, though. He found comrades with whom he enjoyed working with, who pushed him to be better and who cheered him on in every competition, and who were also remarkably good drinking partners. Yet in many nights often saw the soldiers waltz down the street, arms across each other's shoulders, singing in a rankest chorus or laughing at jokes told in antiquity. One such night started, and the man had the first round of drinks. He walked up to the bar and ordered four shots of vodka and a shot of cognac. The bartender said he needed to go to the back to open a new case of cognac, and the man waited patiently, getting out his watch. Who's the cognac for? A voice at Cheraway asked. For me, of course, the man answered, still looking at his watch. The voice laughed. Why, of course? Because I've earned it, the man said. 
What made you run? The questioning annoyed the man. He turned to look at who was interrogating him and asked him why they needed to know this. And he found himself gazing deeply into eyes a deeper blue than he had ever seen. The eyes looked back to him fixedly. Because I'm the one buying, the man heard himself say. The man and the girl got to talking a little, introducing themselves and talking about their professions. The girl was apprenticing at the bank as a teller. She hoped to one day work up to being an accountant. The man told her about his ambitions to win the national championship for long toss, how he wanted to become a big shot in the army, and saying all this to her didn't feel strange or ridiculous. Saying this all to her, the man felt it was not only all achievable, but all destined to happen. What happened, man? Did you get lost? The man heard his drinking buddy yell. The man broke his gaze on the girl. We asked you to get drinks 15 minutes ago. What's taking so... Oh. The man flushed red, his embarrassment heightened by the fact that for the first time he noticed the five shots sitting in front of him. The girl giggled. I suppose I'm distracting you from your friends. I should probably get back to mine too, the girl said, standing up. Shame. I was enjoying our conversation, she said in sultry tones. The man had an idea. Invite your girlfriends to drink with us, he suggested. He gestured towards his friends. They're all good guys, mostly. It'll be a good time. The girl thought for a second. Sure, she said, and got up to walk toward her table. The man looked at his drinking buddy, who had a wide grin on his face. Sorry for the wait, the man said. No problem, says drinking buddy, taking the shot of cognac. But the next round is on you. It was a cold and icy day, and the man and the girl decided to take a walk through the forest. The girl held the man's hand and had been walking very close to the man until they ended up on the frozen river. It was not a very cold winter. The early snows had quickly melted, but it was still cold enough that the breath from their lips came out as white puffs and that they didn't have to worry about falling through the ice. They did have to worry about falling, however. A couple times the man had almost lost his balance and nearly sent him and the girl tumbling into the ice. But he steadied himself and started laughing at how loudly the girl had screamed when he started to lose balance. Eventually they reached the clearing and the girl gasped when she saw the view. It was a small basin where the river must have started. A steep rock clearing, jet black, was above them. A small pond sat on top of the pool of ice, vibrating when a stream of droplets fell upon it. What must in the summer have been a powerful waterfall was now reduced to a small trickle. Yet it was alive, even though when everything else seemed dead. Yet beyond that, the most beautiful sight were the trees. The ice had frozen in rivulets around the trees, growing until they were encased completely. What at any other time would have just looked like brown trees looked now like they were made of crystal. The man and the girl stood there for a moment in silence, nothing spoken and nothing thought. The girl wordlessly pressed her hand onto the man's and their fingers interlaced together. For the fifth time, the man was in the final round of the tournament. It had been a few months past since his three-year anniversary of leaving home, and this was the closest the man had come to breaking through. He had found out the best way to beat the competitors around him was to befriend them. He spent more time training with fellow competitors than alone, and he was able to clearly see from training not only his own failings, but what he saw as the pitfalls of the others. That's what started to give him the edge over all the other competitors in his town. That was, except for the rival. The rival had more natural talent than the man. He was sullen and silent, not very popular around the other athletes, but he was good. He was only in his first year, yet he had already been to three of the final round of the local tournament. 
He and the man had been outmatched every time, but this time they knew that one of them would reach the next level. The man's turn was up. He walked out of the pit. He took a look into the crowd. He saw a brief glitter of silver in the summer light and locked eyes with the girl. She was wearing her lucky silver necklace, one with a rabbit's foot pendant at the end of it. He smiled and turned to look at the field. The man grabbed the ball. He stretched his arm with it in a circular motion to get warm. Then he focused on the white line, closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and ran forward. He swung without thinking and saw the metal ball sail into the air. He turned his back before the ball landed and started grabbing the other ball. 45 yards, the referee cried, a thin cheer from the crowd. The man silently cursed. He had let go too soon. The ball did not travel far enough in the air. He took another deep breath, let the frustration go, and ran toward the line. This time he knew he released it too high. He overadjusted. 50 yards, the ref cried. Another thin cheer. Not bad for a start, however. If he kept up with this rate, he would reach about 250. Not an impossible score to beat, but it may be enough to secure him a win. The man loaded up and released again. This time, he got it. 63 yards. Louder applause this time. The man turned his back quickly again. He kept his mind free from thought for this pitch. He nailed it. 65 yards, the ref cried. Applause started again, whistling and cheering for the man. He heard the girl yelling with pride at the top of her lungs. He heard his comrades beating the wooden railing and chanting his name. For a moment, the man bathed in the slim applause. If he nailed this one, the tournament and qualification were as good as his. The man loaded up, running up to the plate full of swagger, and he miffed it completely. 30 yards. The applause stopped for a moment. The crowd and the man were a little disappointed. But then the cheering started up again. 253 yards. Maybe enough to win, maybe not. This is why the man hated going first in the final round. The waiting was the hardest part. The next athlete went up. An old-timer who had gotten fairly lucky in the preliminary round. The man wasn't worried about the old-timer, but his anxiety was increasing while waiting for the rival to step up. The old-timer ended up with 202 yards. The rival stepped up. The man could feel his heart beating in his chest. He found that watching proved to be the worst part of the whole experience. The anticipation made it all the much worse. He closed his eyes and waited for the ref to call out a number. 70 yards, he heard the ref cry, a few shouts and a lot of applause from the audience. The man's heart sank. It was only one pitch, but he knew how much steam the rival could get. He mentally prepared himself to lose and started thinking about next month's tournament. At least the rival would not be part of that one. He waited patiently for the next pitch, however. A slight sliver of hope that the rival would find a way to screw up. The man sat and listened. But instead of hearing the sound of the ref's voice, he heard a scream of pain and a gasp go throughout the crowd. The man's heart skipped a beat. The man opened his eyes and sighed deeply. He had wanted to win, but not like this. The rival had blown out his arm. His last ball went 50 yards, but the man knew it didn't matter anymore. A nurse had rushed onto the field. The rival was writhing in agony on the sand. The referee blew the whistle and called the game. The crowd was deathly quiet. The nurse was able to get the rival to his feet. He walked away cradling his arm. The crowd gave him a mournful and loud round of applause. He continued to walk silent. 
The referee called up the man. He placed the medal around his neck and explained how he was able to compete now for the national championship. He raised the man's hand up and the crowd politely applauded, still shocked at what just happened. After the applause ended, the man started walking toward where the rival was sitting. He heard someone in the crowd mutter that the man had gotten lucky. Usually he didn't pay attention to what the crowd said, but this time he couldn't help but agree. The man approached the rival. The rival sat with a sling around his arm, looking at a rock on the ground. Hey, you put on a good show today. I feel so terribly that I had to end like this. The rival made no sign that he heard him. The man gulped. I know this is tough, but I have a feeling that you will be able to recover from this. You'll go off and win this tournament, and that we'll meet again in the big one. I'll be waiting for you there. The rival didn't look up, but the man saw his face start to get red. Thanks, the rival croaked out. The man took a long look at his rival, sighed, and then walked away. The rival never competed again. Oftentimes, the man and the girl found themselves arguing. In the beginning, it had been rough to determine when the girl was angry with him. She often tried to play it off as nothing bothering her, but the man always knew when something was up. It had taken a while, but eventually they had turned their silent struggles into screaming matches. That was fine with the man. If he had to choose between the silence and the screaming, he would take the screaming every time. Most times after they argued, they had been able to laugh after, seeing how silly the argument was in hindsight. This time, there was no laughing. For the man to compete in the national championship, they had to move. Moving for the man was no big deal. All he had to do was request a transfer in the city's base would see his resume and take him in an instant. The army in the small town was an easy job, but in the city he would be able to move up quickly. The town had been an amazing experience for him, but he knew if he wanted to move up, if he wanted to be like his cousin, the city was where he was supposed to be. But for the girl, the case was not the same. Her family lived in the town. She was very close with her mother, and she had just been promoted from junior accountant to accountant at the local bank. She didn't want to leave, and he needed to. They had the largest fight they had ever had, and the man felt like they were at a breaking point. He had to choose. Does he go and try to win the championship, or does he stay with the girl? The man had not felt great about his win. It felt undeserved to him. He had stuffed the medal into his locker and forgotten about it. He wasn't sure going to the city would be anything but a waste of time and money. The teacher's words rang through his head. But even then, does he give up? Does he throw it all away for her sake? The girl had asked for them to meet on a bench by the park. She said she had some news to share with the man. It was a cold fall day. The man sat on the bench with his uniform on, his foot tapping uncontrollably. The man could not imagine the news could be anything good. His mind raced as he waited. Eventually, the girl showed up. The man gave her a quick hug, and they sat down on the bench next to each other. For a long moment, they didn't say anything. The girl broke the silence. So I wanted to tell you... Listen, before you say what you're going to say, can I go? Because it might change whatever decision you make. The girl was taken aback. Sure. Listen, I've given this a lot of thought, and this hasn't been easy for me. But I've been thinking about us and weighing about whether I should stay here or go off in the city, it doesn't really come close. Any chance or any opportunity I would have there wouldn't mean anything, because I wouldn't have you. Being with you is more important than any position, any money, or any championship. They would all mean nothing if you were not by my side. The man choked up. He saw tears forming in the girl's eyes. I'd give that all up 
to stay with you. The girl gave a sob and then smiled, tears shining in her eyes. I got a job, she said quietly. The man didn't understand. What? he said. I got a job in the city, a better job than here. The bank manager put in a good word for me. We can move to the city together. The man was shocked. But your mom, are you just going to leave her? I just talked to her. She wants me to go, the girl said between deep breaths. And I want to go. Even if it wasn't for the job, I don't want you to give up. Your dream, your drive, your passion, she paused. It's why I love you. This was too much for the man. He started crying and the girl put her head on his shoulder and started crying too. Just promise me one thing, the girl said. Anything. Promise me we'll come back here often. The stadium was the largest the man had ever seen. The crowd around the field in the town had made the man nervous, but this was something completely different. The outside stadium could hold maybe 10,000 people. They were all now clamoring to get to their seats. The man stood breathlessly staring at the crowd, until he felt a clap on his back and spun to face a massive man with a bright smile on his face. I knew you'd make it someday, the contender said. The man smiled. He had wondered about the contender. He didn't get much news from the tournament, but he knew it was a brutal game. Once you qualified for the tournament, you had 12 years to play before you lost your right to compete. That way, the competition was never too full. But even among 500 eligible contestants, only 50 showed up today. The man had guessed because the cost to enter was so much larger than the local tournaments, not a lot of people could afford to compete every month. But looking around at the competition, the man now saw why so many didn't compete. The men here in the competition looked like giants. Whereas before the contender had stood out, here he was only a little bigger than average. The man was by far the smallest and shortest athlete here. He supposed it spoke to his character, that he was able to push forward into a level where he did not even belong. But to another extent, he saw how insanely outmatched he was, and how he wouldn't be able to win with luck this time. But the man was glad to see the contender. He had seen the contender a few times walking around town since he won that championship in the man's second tournament. The contender was always courteous, and he seemed to believe in the man. The man wondered if his compliments were flattery, or if the contender had some sort of sixth sense about these things. So how'd you win? How many yards did you have in the last round? He asked. 253. I got lucky, though. Other guy blew his arm out, the man said. The contender's smile faded. An athlete always treated an injury with solemnity. The man and the contender went into every round knowing that it could be their last. Well, shit happens. Anyone who made it here deserves to be here. Seeing you here makes me happy. Makes me wonder if I gotta work harder. If someone as skinny as you could make it here, well... Anything is possible, the contender said, lost in thought. The man scowled, but the contender remained oblivious of the insult. He turned. Hey, good luck out there today, man. You'll do great. Yep, you too, the man said, and went to warm up. The man was the first to go in the tournament. As his name was called, he found a surprising number of people cheering. He was perplexed why. He's even more perplexed to hear the announcers next to him, their voices amplified throughout the stadium. Now here's a guy, Al, who's clearly got some grit to him. He comes in less than six foot, probably shy of 75 kilograms, and he's going to be standing up against these massive guys. 
I don't know how he's going to do it, the first announcer said. Well, he's certainly got some confidence. Might show a couple of the boys and girls sitting in the stands that despite whatever comes to you, you can still end up in the championship tournament one day. The man's mouth hung open in disbelief. Was this how they saw him? Somebody who had already done all he could with what he had? It amazed them how quickly they were to write him off. The man shook his head, took a deep breath, and recentered. He pitched the first ball. He heard a roar go through the crowd. Sixty yards. Whoa, Al, he might make you eat your words there. This guy's come to compete. The man took another breath, lined up, and ran toward the line. The swing went even further. Sixty-five yards. Another roar. The man heard the announcer's voices on the next pitch, but didn't know what they were saying. His arm was tired from the last two pitches. This one only landed 44 yards. The man gritted his teeth in frustration. He had spent all his strength in his first two pitches, an idiot mistake. The man took another deep breath and gave his arm a moment to regain some strength. He ran again and swung hard, 63 yards, but the man knew that was the last of what he had. He walked up to the last ball, took a long, deep breath, and knew that the next ball would not go very far. He nevertheless gave it all he had as he swung. 27 yards. The man sighed and allowed himself to hear the cheering. 259 yards wasn't bad, but he knew it wasn't enough to get him into the final round. Still, the cheering seemed much louder than what it should have been for such a slim performance. Ain't that something, Al. That won't win him anything, but I'm sure the next guys coming up are going to put a little extra juice on it. No one's going to want to be behind this guy today. The man went back into the pit with the other contestants. He was given a friendly round of applause, and he quietly took a seat as the second contestant went up. The man's top score did not last very long, yet he did not come in last. The sixth contestant ended up with 248 yards. When he saw that he had lost to the man, the athlete stomped his feet and walked out of the stadium. Wait, we can leave? The man asked. Sure, a contestant said behind him. If you want to be rude, that is. The man got an idea. He stood up and started walking out of the dugout. A doubt hit him and he turned. It's been a pleasure competing with y'all and I can't wait to watch the rest of you pitch. But there's somewhere else in the stadium that I'd rather sit if you don't mind. No one paid him too much attention, so the man turned and left. The man walked around the outside of the field, found who he was looking for, and climbed over the railing into the crowd. The announcers took notice. Whoa, look at our first contestant. He's climbing up into the stands. What's he doing that for? The man stepped over several seats, excusing himself as he did. People gave him annoyed glances, but the man paid them no attention. He slowed down when he was face-to-face -face with the person he was looking for. The girl, red-faced from embarrassment but with a thin smile on her face. The man slid into the seat next to her, threw a sore arm around her shoulder, and gave her a kiss on the cheek. The crowd awed. Look at that, Al. Gosh, everybody loves a sweetheart. The man and the girl watched the rest of the matches. By the end of the preliminary, the man had seen 40 people eclipse his score, which was discouraging, but the fact he wasn't last gave him some measure of comfort. He wasn't sure he even belonged in that tournament. But the fact he didn't come dead last meant that he was not as overmatched as it might have seemed. The contender ended the round with 381 points. He came third in the final ranking of the preliminary round. The man and the girl sat for a long time in silence watching the matches. They're a lot better than you, the girl said. 
They are, the man said without pause. How are you going to beat them, she asked, turning to look him in the eyes. The man thought, however hard they work, I got to work harder. The man woke up. The alarm on his wrist beeped slightly. The man squeezed his eyes shut for a second. He did not want to do this. He wanted to rest and go back to sleep. But he had to get up. He rolled out of bed as quietly as he could, dressed up into his training clothes and a winter hat, and headed out into the cold morning fog. He ran, half out of exercise and half out of a need to get warm before going to the gymnasium. There already waiting for him was another athlete he befriended in the competition. The man and his partner had competed every day to see who could get to the gym earlier. His partner stood there with a smug look on his face. The clock read 3.20. The man would have to wake up earlier the next day to beat him. They got to work. They started with strength training. In the beginning, the man had loaded this part of the training. When he was young, the difficulty of the weightlifting and the amount of reps had been a struggle for him. But now he relished these moments. He and his partner wanted to see how much they could push themselves every day to be stronger. It was good to hold each other accountable, to challenge each other to be better. What the man did not look forward to was the practice, the training of the pitch. The way that every time he did it, he did something wrong, and how one correction would always lead to another mistake. The man and his partner threw at least a thousand pitches each morning. By their end, their arms would feel like tenderized mush. But they left every time knowing what their strengths were and what they had to work on in order to improve. Recently, the same answer had come back for the man again and again. If he wanted to throw the ball far, he needed to gain strength. That required gaining muscle in different weight regiments, dieting, and focus. At 7 a.m., the man would run home. He would spend the morning making coffee and having breakfast with the girl before getting his uniform on and heading to work. Work was now demanding. The man's performance had started to improve and his commanding officers started to trust him with more responsibility. But that meant longer hours and a larger necessity for leadership, which was as exhausting as the early morning workouts. By 5.30, the man would leave the army base, run back to the gymnasium, and start practicing his pitch again. This time working on some more soft skills, often practicing the motion without any weight at all, and working with a coach to see what else could be done. Then he would arrive home around 8 p.m., wash up, spend some time with the girl, and be asleep by 9 p.m. He went to sleep every night, relieved but exhausted. Then his alarm would wake him up before dawn, and the cycle would start over again. This time in the championship, the man was placed toward the end of the contestant. There was always an inherent benefit to being last or close to last. You knew what score you needed to get so that you could get to the final round. The contender had gone early this time and ended up with the second highest score of 362 yards at the time he went. But his score had gradually fallen, and he had already been knocked out of the tournament, fourth place and 20 yards behind the last guy. The man had been steadily improving in the two years he had been in the running for the championship. The going had been slow at first, but he had now ended up in the top 10 in two of his last six attempts. The man, however, knew that there was something missing. His performances had often lagged behind his training significantly, and often he had found that nerves he would get during the tournament would hurt his first and second swings. The man decided, however, that the only remedy for that was to keep going until the nerves went away or stopped bothering him. He did often, however, find it frustrating, after all the money he spent to enter these tournaments that he had very little to show for it. 
This day, however, had seemed especially calm for the man. He patiently watched all the other contestants and thought of nothing particular while waiting for his turn. He noted what each contestant did well and where they had made mistakes, making mental notes of what most of his competition lacked so that he could get an edge on them. Eventually, the man's name was called. The crowd cheered loudly when the man stepped up. He had found that a lot of people had ended up rooting for him on account of his underdog status. The cheering was not as loud, however, as when the contender stepped up. His name was chanted and feet were stamped every time he walked up to the dais. The man had learned how to block out the announcer's chatter. He found that if he listened too hard to what they said, it would take away from his swing. The man grabbed his first metal ball from the stand. The man took a deep breath in. He felt the cold October air enter through his nose and into his lungs. He held it for a moment, feeling the fullness of his chest, and then released. He ran toward the line, arms and legs at this point moving by themselves. The man flung the ball. Then and there, he knew how he was going to have a good round. The crowd exploded, 83 yards. He turned his back and repeated the motion. He went to the stand. He took a deep breath. He ran. He tossed 82 yards. Again, stand, breathe, run, toss, 76 yards. Stand, breathe, run, toss, 80 yards. The man stood there panting, in complete disbelief at what he was doing. 321 yards. He heard the crowd for the first time, and the volume seemed to him to be enormous. The man could barely hear the announcers over the sound of the crowd. He looked toward the leaderboard. He was only 59 yards from being in third place. The man took it all in. Then he took his deep breath, the noise of the crowd ringing in his ears. He went to the stand, grabbed his last ball, eyed the line, ran and threw. The man noted immediately that the rhythm he had found himself in had gone away completely. This pitch did not have any of the control the last four did. It landed in the sand at 48 yards. The crowd groaned and the man cursed in frustration. He had blown it. Contention was in his hands and he let it slip. The moment had become too big for him. The potential to be in the championship round had overlapped the focus of the experience. The man had failed because he had heard the cheering. He stewed for a second in silence. Then the crowd erupted again into applause. The man heard the announcer's table. Certainly a disappointing ending, Al, but my God, man, I've never seen something like this. He really came out to play today. And I don't think this is the last we've seen of him, Chris. I think he's only getting started. It won't be too long before we see him in the championship round. The man felt the achievement now wash over him. He had essentially secured fourth place in a tournament against the best of the world, and he still had eight years to win a championship. The last time he had placed fourth, he met the girl shortly after, and his life had only changed for the better since then. The man waved an appreciative hand to the crowd. Then the man took a look at the leaderboard and realized something. He had beat the contender. The contender was a head and a half taller than him and had shoulders the size of volleyballs. He was built for this sport, and the man had beat him. The man had been taking the comments about his size very personally lately and had found himself doubting whether he could ever reach even close to a level like the contender did. But today, he had eclipsed him. The man started to smile. The man knew now that he had almost reached it. He had the girl. He was greatly improving in his military career, and he was now poised to win a championship. It may have taken a bit longer than his cousin, 
the man felt as if soon he might not only win one championship, but two, proving that he was just as good, if not better, than his cousin. The man headed back to the pit. He received a lot of congratulations from other athletes on the long bench, and a lot of bitter negligence from those too mad that the man had beaten them. But the strangest congratulations had come from the contender. The contender stood up, shook his hand, and said congrats, with none of the usual smiles or sportsmanship the contender usually displayed. He didn't even look the man in the eyes. The contender sat down and looked wordlessly into the distance, staring at nothing. The man's comrades found this win a good course for celebration. They drove out to a campsite some miles out of the city and brought with them a few bottles of vodka. They laughed and they celebrated. The man with his arm around the girl's shoulder, cheering and giving toast to life and all the joy that would soon be upon them. The hours melted away in drunken jubilation. By the end of the night, the man had sobered up a good bit. He and the girl were sitting in the back of a wagon, driving back into town. They sat silently, the girl being strangely quiet after such a night. Everything good? the man asked. The girl gave a wry smile, and the man noticed in the moonlight her face looked oddly pale. She nodded, and she said she was just tired. The man pulled her in and kissed her forehead. She sighed and leaned her head on his shoulder. She closed her eyes. The man let her rest and turned around in the back of the wagon to watch the road. He watched for a good while. Then, passing quickly in front of him, he saw a large animal on the side of the road standing behind something. It was a buck standing behind the body of a doe. The doe's body lay on the ground, crumpled and motionless. There was a pool of blood beneath it. Its tongue was protruding, and its head bent up toward its back far more than it should have been able to. But the buck did not look at it. The buck looked at the man. It stood with a strong street light in its face, fully illuminated, antlers protruding in the night, and eyes staring straight at the man. Their eyes locked. The man peered into the buck's eyes and saw blackness, no sign or reflection of the streetlight. The gaze held for a moment. Then the cart drove past the scene. The animals were out of sight. The man shivered and decided to try and rest. The sickness had overcome the girl quickly. She had first begun to sweep later and appeared a little paler, but the man had noticed that her cheeks were not hollow and her hair, which was once shiny and beautiful, was now turning gray and brittle. The man was concerned at how quickly her condition was deteriorating and moved her back to their old town. The man thought that seeing her mother would help the girl recover a little. But still the girl became weaker and weaker. Doctors had no answer for her condition. Every medication they described was ineffective or only served to make the girl even more sick. The man was growing very worried and spent most days pacing around the mother's house trying to figure out how to cure the girl's ailment. One day, he sat next to the girl's bed, watching her sleep, and rocking himself nervously in the chair next to her. Her arms at this point were so skinny that they seemed to be only skin and bones. In the room next door, the man could hear the mother wailing. The sound had often been too painful for him to hear. He oftentimes found that he couldn't stand to be in a house with so much misery. He had to leave and find places where it seemed that life was not so heavy. The girl awoke lightly. She turned her eyes toward the man. My love, she said weakly. The man smiled and tried to hide his worry. How do you feel? he asked. Good, 
she lied. I have something to ask of you. Anything, the man said. Do you remember that waterfall we saw frozen in the winter when we first started seeing each other? Of course. It flows from a larger river that runs across the whole country. I always wanted to raft on it, she paused. When I go, I want to float down on that river. The man stood up from shock. Don't talk like that, he cried, tears welling. You're not going to die. The girl smiled. I'm glad I spent my life with you, she said, however short it was. The man started bawling. He couldn't force himself to hear the girl like this. He left the room. The doctors had declared the girl comatose three days ago, and the man sat waiting for her to die. The man and the mother had spent a long time in the past few weeks crying, yet here where it seemed to be on the eve of the event, they found their tears dried up. The man hated waiting in the room. He did not like how the seat felt. He did not like the silence in the room. He did not like looking at the girl, whose breath was slow and peaceful, as if sleeping. He spent a long time looking at his thumbs, or at the clock, or thinking about something not at all related to what was happening. He had not slept for the past few days, and had found himself drifting off regularly. The mother went and tapped him on the shoulder. Get some rest, honey. You've done a great job staying with her, the mother said. The man nodded. He went up to the girl. Good night, he said. He watched her for a long moment. I love you he said softly. Then, he walked to the bed, got beneath the covers, and fell asleep. The mother awoke him. She's gone, she said, her eyes filled with tears. The man nodded his head and asked if he could sleep a few minutes longer. At the funeral, many of the girl's friends, her relatives, and the man's comrades hugged the man offered words of condolences, and talked about how much of a tragedy the girl's death was. The man listened to them politely and spoke solemnly. He listened to the priest's sermon and then went up to the podium to speak. He gave a speech, talking about her, about what a tremendous loss she was in his life, how the world without her would be a worse place, but how he planned on honoring her memory. He saw people crying during his speech, and he received more condolences after it. But in truth, the man felt nothing. He found the condolences repetitive and annoying. He did not like how much crying there was, and he did not even hear what he was saying during the eulogy. He had to give off the impression of grief, but on the inside, he had no reaction to the girl's death whatsoever. It was as if it was any other thing, or as if the tragedy was happening entirely to someone else. They placed the girl's body in a raft. She was surrounded with roses and placed in her most beautiful dress. The man looked at her face one last time. It wasn't at all what it was like in life. It was glossy. It looked like it was made of wax. The man looked at her one last time and got into a raft with his comrade to help the boat flow down the river. They paddled, tugging the boat behind them. When they had reached a steady flowing part of the river, the comrade gave the man a knife. The man stood up in the boat, and the comrades stood up behind him. He took the knife and cut the girl's raft from their boat. The man watched the raft float down the river. He stood close to the edge and looked at the water. 
The water was icy, but not frozen. And he thought that that was strange. It was early December. The river should have been frozen by now. The comrade eyed the man standing so close to the water nervously and wrapped his arm around the man's waist. The man spent the next few weeks back in the village. The mother had become very depressed after the girl died, and the man spent a lot of time caring for her, buying her groceries and cooking her food. The man went back to his old gymnasium, as delighted to see old athletes there, and he reminisced with them about times past. He, however, did not keep up with his training for long toss anymore. The idea, for some reason, had lost a lot of meaning to him. Other than that, the man went back to work, and his life continued as it had normally. The man often in the afternoon took walks. The spring had started to come in, and the green returned to the trees, and the man could tell that the flowers were going to be blooming. The man today was on a walk with his old drinking buddy, and they spent time talking about the weather, and how the army had much more work to do now, and so on. They were taking a walk through the park, and the man was complaining about his workload, when out of the corner of his eye he saw something. He turned. Oh, hey, the man said, with a hint of a smile in his voice. That's the bench where we... The man turned pale. The drinking buddy turned. Hey, bud, you okay? The man started coughing and then gasping. The man's chest started heaving. Oh, you're in shock. I know just the thing, the drinking buddy said, and grabbed the man's arm. He led him to a bar and quickly got him a pint of beer. The man grabbed the drink and swallowed the liquid quickly. He gasped and started breathing normally. Better? the drinking buddy asked. Yes, the man panted, but I'm going to need more. A year had passed. The man was working back in the city. He spent most of the days working at the army base. He was often the first one to show up and the last one to leave. He spent the day working furiously, often working all the way through his lunch. He was getting high praise from his comrades and superiors and was piled with more honors and responsibilities. Promotions and raises were coming more often than the man expected, and he now could find himself purchasing things that he would have once found frivolous. Rings, belt buckles, and fine silk clothing. After work, he would spend nights with the drinking buddy. They often explored the bars in the city. They spent the nights with their arms around each other's shoulders and hands around large glasses of beer, cheering and toasting and grinning and living the good life. Then the man wake up groggy in the morning, get dressed, and head to work. The man had also finally found his touch with women. The ladies that used to spurn him now found his money, his sports success, and his charm attractive. The man found that it was helpful not to be too nice with them, not to give them too much of an indication he was interested or cared about them. Eventually, this trick worked so well for the man that he indeed didn't care and wasn't that interested. His lack of interest only drew some of the women closer. He had lots of flings, but he often found that the women would want something from him afterwards. A lot felt as if they had to help the man for some reason, as if there was something about him that the woman could fix. He often gave women the cold shoulder after this. It was the easiest way to get out of the situation. The man had given up long toss. The prospect of working so hard for a championship seemed silly to him. There was no fun in it at all. There was no way he was going to win anything there anyways. It was always stupid to think he could do so. What was he kidding himself? He wasn't a person who won anything. Life was fun, and the man was happy. The only thing bothering him would be minor moments, like when the man saw the bench with his drinking buddy. 
but the man kept a flask of vodka with him at all times, in case those sort of things happened. Life was good. There were, however, a few more military issues that needed to be dealt with. The man was a lieutenant now and spent most of his time commanding and training troops. There was a small rebel gathering they found out about close to the outskirts of the city. The man had known that his drinking buddy had been struggling with his career lately and decided to give him an easy job. Show up with his troops and scare the rebels out of their hideout. The mission went with a little more difficulty than the man expected, however. When the rebels saw the soldiers approaching their encampment, they opened fire. This caught the soldiers by surprise, though there were only minor injuries from the shootings, and the soldiers quickly cleared them out. The drinking buddy was shot in the side during the fighting. The man went to visit him in the infirmary in the early morning after the battle. The drinking buddy had a bloody bandage wrapped around his gut. How you feeling? the man asked. Like I've been shot? the drinking buddy answered with a chuckle. The man laughed. So I guess I'll be alone in the bars tonight. You want me to bring over a drink after work? The drinking buddy shifted uncomfortably. No, they gotta give me medicine to take the bullet out. Shouldn't hurt the liver any more than we already do, he chuckled. But hey, when you see me, could you get me a pack of cigarettes? That would help a bit. The man smiled. I can do it during lunch. The drinking buddy nodded, and the man noted his face was a bit pale. There's a good guy. I'll probably be out of the operation by then. Anything you need, buddy. The man looked at his watch. The brilliant face showed him that he had to be at his desk in ten minutes. Listen, I gotta go. I'll see you after lunch. See ya, pal. The man walked to his desk. He had a productive morning. He filled out a few forms and had a meeting with his subordinates. Five minutes to lunch, he walked toward the cafeteria counter and bought a pack of cigarettes. He walked back to the infirmary, smiling and whistling as he walked. He went in and checked into the nurse's desk. He asked to see his drinking buddy. The nurse stared at him and pursed her lips after he said the buddy's name. She looked down. I'm sorry, sir, but he passed away. The man had a shock. What? There were complications from the surgery. The bullet got too close to his heart. He lost too much blood. But I was just talking to him. He was alive a few hours ago, laughing. He can't be dead. I'm sorry, sir, the nurse said, and walked towards another patient. The man could not believe it. He walked as if in a stupor back to work and told his platoon that the drinking buddy had died. A wave of shock passed through the troops. The man explained that death was a natural part of serving the military, and that it is honorable to die serving one's country against those who would threaten it. He said that the details of the funeral would be forthcoming, that the drinking buddy would be honored as befits a true soldier there. The man suggested, however, that they all meet in the buddy's favorite bar that night, as that is what he would have wanted. The man stood staring at his full drink in the bar, still in disbelief that the drinking buddy was dead. He was expecting to see him any moment rounding a corner to slap him on the shoulder and tell a dirty joke. But drinking without him now felt wrong, like something was missing. The drinking itself now felt meaningless. In fact, everything at the moment felt meaningless. The man stood sober, staring at his drink. The other comrades, however, were drinking. They were laughing and singing the drinking buddy's favorite songs. The man saw one of them, however, apart from the rest crying. The man decided to go comfort him. It might make the man feel better. The soldier crying was a young sergeant in his platoon. 
He was a nice lad, but awfully shy. The man went up to comfort him. Losing a comrade is always hard, friend, the man started. Oh, the sergeant said. I'm sorry, but I'm not crying about him. Then what about, buddy? The man asked. A girl I liked cheated on me. The man tensed. Oh. I just saw her now at the dance floor, kissing another soldier. The man was silent. I thought she really loved me, and now she's betrayed me like this. I can't be with her anymore, but I don't want to let her go, the sergeant sobbed. I loved her so much. How'd this happen? Where'd I go wrong? The man gritted his teeth. Maybe you shouldn't have fallen in love with a whore. The sergeant picked his face up out of his hands and looked at the man with shock. Huh? What kind of sense did you have, man? Did you not see from the start that she was loose? You saw one girl give you a flicker of attention and you decided that she's the one? You're an idiot. A fucking idiot, the man spat. The sergeant stuttered. You you can't talk to me like that, that, that. I can talk to you in any way I please. I'm your superior fucking commander, the man continued to hurl. You sit here crying your eyes out, thinking that your pain is special, that you suffer more than anybody else. Let me give you a lesson real quick. This ain't real shit. This is pussy shit. You don't know shit. You don't know. The man choked up. Then a rush of anger, even stronger than before, rose up. You don't know what it's like to lose someone you love. You don't know what it's like to see the life fading from them every day. You couldn't imagine that pain. And here you sit, fucking crying about some fucking whore. What a fucking waste, the man yelled. He stood there for a minute panting. Then he turned around and realized the bar had gone silent. His comrades and the bar staff were all staring at him. He looked back at the sergeant. His face was scrunched up in sadness, and sobs even thicker than the ones before heaved in the young lad's chest. Hey, you can't talk to him like that, a comrade said. I, 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 the man stammered. He saw the door. I need to go. He ran out. The man ran as fast as he could. He ran down city streets and into the adjoining town and into the countryside. The man ran despite his tiredness. He ran till the soles of his feet were bleeding. He ran to feel the pain, because the pain was better than the creeping feeling he felt coming through his throat. He ran into a forest and soon found himself stumbling over rocks and roots. The man paid no heed and kept running. His foot snagged on a rock and he crashed hard into the forest floor. The man looked up from the dirt. He got up and knew he could run no more. The man panted. He hadn't run too far. The city melted quickly into farmland and forests. He had not run more than three miles most likely, but he felt more exhausted than any time when he had ran in the mornings, and he ran five miles in the cold every day. The man was chubby now. He had a beer belly, and his face had grown pudgy from drinking. For the first time, the man had to reckon with that fact. He was often too drunk to notice it before. The man looked around. There near him were tall, stout trees with a few stumps surrounding them. 
An axe was laid down on one of the stumps. The man, still exhausted, sat down on one of the stumps. He was completely unable to catch his breath. He wiped a bead of sweat from his brow and noticed that the rings he was wearing looked like they were strangling his fingers. His digits were red and bloated. It was like they threatened to snap the rings like rubber bands any second. The man pulled each one off and looked at them. There was something revolting about them now. The fact that something so beautiful and so indulgent had been attached to a body that was now so doughy and misshapen made the man sick. He flung the rings away, then his watch, then he ripped off his fine jacket and stamped it into the dirt. The man heaved with every stomp. His pride for his appearance now turned into hatred. He didn't want there to be any trace of these things left in the world. He hated them, and he hated how each stomp did not make him feel any better or did not wipe away any of the shame. He stopped stomping for a moment, out of breath again. He saw a glint of sunlight in the corner of his eye and turned and saw a clear puddle on the floor's floor. In there he saw his reflection, distorted. He saw himself in an undershirt, with his belly sticking out and his face covered with dirt. He saw his hair disheveled and messy. He saw the double chin beneath his jaw. He saw the look on his face, one of a pouting child. Who was he? This is not the man he wanted to be. This was not even the man he was. The man looking back at him was pathetic, a shell of a person. He couldn't recognize himself. Any trace of good looks or confidence had completely escaped from him. This was not the man who... who... The man ran grabbed the axe, and swung at the nearest tree he could find. The blow struck and splintered the wood. The man pulled the axe back hard and swung again, sounding a loud crack into the forest. He pulled back and swung again, then again. The axe stuck deep into the tree this time. The man had to put his foot up against the tree to get enough strength to pull it out. He swung again, screaming as he did so, and when the axe hit the wood, he felt immediately that something was wrong. The man had swung upward while chopping the tree, so the cut was jagged, and it was nearly through the hole of the trunk. The tree was about to fall on the man. He heard a loud crack and threw himself to the side. Then he heard a massive weight move and a loud thump next to him as the tree fell down. The man opened his eyes. The tree was about a foot away from crushing him. The man felt terrible. He felt like a failure in all aspects. He wanted to quit. He wanted to give up and go back to the village with his tail between his legs. But what would he be when he came back? His cousin had come back a champion and a decorated soldier in three years. And the man would come back after eight years, after barely contending and not having nearly the same prestige as his cousin. No, the man did not want to go back. He did not want to go anywhere or feel anything. All the joy had gone from this life, and he did not think he wanted to be a part of it any longer. The man sat up sniffling, then began to cry softly. He cried out of pity for himself and for how this wretched world had treated him so unfairly, while it treated others with kindness. He sat crying for what felt like a long time. Why are you crying, young man? A kindly voice asked. The man looked up. 
A thin, balding old man with a beard like Santa Claus was looking at him. The man realized that this must have been the lumberjack. The man's face flushed. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I just lost control of myself. I didn't mean to cut down your tree. I... It's all right, son. There are plenty of trees here. What I'm interested in knowing is why someone is crying on such a beautiful day. I... The man paused. I don't want to live anymore, the man said softly. The kindly old man looked at him with tender eyes. And why is that, son? Life's been unfair to me. I see other people winning things that I can't. I see people who are much better than me and have to work so hard to do anything but be a failure. All I've ever done is lose and lose. I've lost all the tournaments. I just lost the respect of my comrades. I have lost... The man choked up and was silent for a moment. My girlfriend died a year ago, he said flatly. The old man bowed his head. I'm sorry about that. I feel your pain. The man snapped. How can you feel my pain? How can you possibly know what I feel? Well, the old man said, sighing. My wife died about three years ago. We were together for 40 years. I lost a father, a mother, two brothers. The old man paused. Yes, son. The man felt ashamed. I'm sorry, was all he could say. No need to be sorry, son. I know what it's like. When you're going through it, it seems like the only one who's suffering is you. And that no one else knows what it feels like. Everyone else's problems become small in the face of your own sorrow, the old man said. It's very easy to lose yourself. The man sat there quietly. The kindly old man looked at him. The man couldn't see the kindly man's lips, but he could see through how his beard curled that he was smiling. Come with me to my home. You look like you need a wash. I'll fix some grub up for us to eat. He offered the man a hand for him to get up. The man considered it for a second and then took the old man's hand. The old man led him to a small shack and let him use the shower in the back to wash up. He gave the man a fresh change of clothes. When the man was done washing, he went into the kitchen to hear the old man singing a joyful tune. It struck the man as crazy. How could this old man smile and sing? We had lost so much in life. The old man served the man a bowl of soup. My grandkids don't come around as often, so I don't have to cook as much, so I apologize if the portions are a little thin. Old lady never taught me the recipe quite right, he chuckled. The man ate the soup. He sat in silence listening to the old man whistle while pouring himself a bowl. Soon the man felt that he had to break the silence. How can you act so happy? The man asked. Because I am happy, the kindly old man said. But how? The man asked. Does the grief not bother you? Do you not feel it anymore? The old man sighed deeply. No, son, I still feel it. Every day. The old man kept pouring his soup. Well, how can you be happy if you've lost so much? Well, the old man said, 
It's like this. I'm not a big fan of peas in my soup. Never liked them. If I took that big ladle, filled it with peas, and dropped it in this bowl of mine, I couldn't grab a spoon of this soup without having it filled with peas. But if I took this same ladle and dropped it into the kettle, then I could probably have three or four whole spoons before I found the pea. That's still good soup. The old man stuck a large spoon of soup into his mouth. The man sat thinking. So do the peas get smaller? No, that's the funny thing, the old man said with another smile. The bowl gets bigger. The kindly old man had let the man stay over for a few nights at his shack. He felt it would do the man some good. The man was intrigued by the old grandfather, so he wrote a letter to work saying he had to take a short leave. Eventually, the short leave turned into weeks. The man enjoyed living here, enjoyed hearing what the old man had to say. He liked when the old man's grandkids would visit him. He saw the devotion with which the grandfather gave and talked to the children. The man found himself admiring the old man, who through all the pain that the world inflicted on him, loved life anyway. The old man, however, did not let the man live for free. He put the man to work. The old man was sturdy, but he made the man work at chopping down trees and carrying the lumber for him. Fairly soon, the man noticed that he wasn't as doughy anymore, that the broadness and strength he admired so much was returning to his arms and shoulders. Though the man probably had lost more of the weight because he had stopped drinking, the old man had no alcohol in his shack. The man suffered minor headaches from this, but he found that living in the beautiful forest with the old man, the man had less of a need to drink. The man, when he was not working, spent a lot of time walking alone in the forest. The canopy of the trees were beautiful, and oftentimes sunlight fell in rays on the forest floor. One day exploring, the man came across a large flowing waterfall. He stopped for a moment and admired its beauty. It cascaded across a series of black rocks and down into a river basin. It reminded the man of the frozen waterfall the man and the girl had seen years ago. The man delighted at the memory. When he saw the girl again, he would tell her about this waterfall. Maybe even bring her to it. But then the man remembered. The girl was dead. He would never talk to her again. A creeping feeling came up again. He felt dread in his throat. Instinctively, he went for his coat pocket, the one which once had a flask of vodka in it, and the man felt nothing. The man started hyperventilating. He couldn't be here. He couldn't be feeling this. He tried to move, but he found himself without balance, and he fell down on his behind, staring at the waterfall. The man couldn't breathe. He couldn't move. The kindly old man called his name, and the man struggled to answer. He was not as alone as he thought. The old man came up behind him. The man tried to compose himself. I, the, she... The old man quietly shushed him and put worn and firm hands on the man's shoulders. You don't have to fight it, son. You don't have to run away. The old man's touch calmed the man. He started breathing more deeply. Then a sound escaped his throat. A crack, short moan that caused his chest to spasm. Then another one broke through. Then the man began sobbing. His chest began to heave more as he let it out. Soon he could no longer control himself and he allowed the crying and the tears to flow freely. The old man hugged the man across his broad shoulders. <laughs> She's gone, the man cried. <laughs> She's gone.
The man's life in the forest was difficult after the scene at the waterfall. He felt a huge wave of depression wash over him, and some days he couldn't stand to get out of bed in the morning unless the old man shook him. But slowly the man got better. He abided with the tragedies, but was still able to find himself enjoying life. Their walks were good ways to decompress, and he found the lumber work more rewarding as he continued to do it. But the man still felt bad most days. He felt sad that the girl was dead. He felt sympathy for her mother, who had lost her only daughter. And he felt melancholy. He missed the girl dearly. But worst of all, the man felt shame. The man saw his actions, the drinking, the lethargy, the womanizing, and saw that the only reason he'd done any of it was to avoid feeling what he was feeling right now. He had treated women horribly, and the man often couldn't sleep thinking about how he had yelled at that poor sergeant. He had lost his drive, his ambition, and his goodness in his grief. The man knew above all else that he let himself down. He knew if the girl had seen him, then she wouldn't have loved him anymore. He knew that who he was now wasn't worthy of her. But the man made a promise to himself and to the girl that he would never be that person again. The man had spent a lot of time with the kindly old man. The old man often didn't say much, but the man learned by watching him, seeing how he viewed the world, by how he placed himself in it, and how he acted. The man in return had told his whole life story to the old man. The old man listened with undivided attention. Though the part where the man talked about his cousin's success seemed to visibly bother the old man. He, however, gave the man no criticism. He simply listened so that the man could talk and think about where his life had taken him. Telling the story, the man, now 24, realized that living in his cousin's shadow had provided him with a lot of fuel, a lot of motivation to go out and compete and do his best. But he also realized that it made him unhappy and that living in his cousin's shadow never let the man truly be himself. He had also had all the things that the cousin had flaunted. The man had succeeded in sports, the man had women, and the man had military success. He had not had it to the same extent as the cousin, but he wondered if having more of all of this would really provide him with much more satisfaction, or would it only serve to not be enough at the end of the day. In any case, the man made peace with living in his cousin's shadow. The man knew he could never win there. One day, when the grandchildren were visiting their grandfather, the man noticed that they were throwing a small metal ball across a clearing in a forest. The man approached them. Hey guys, what are you up to? Long toss, a granddaughter said. You want to play? You kids know how to play? Yeah, said one of the grandsons, and he slung a shot ball around 20 yards. The man was impressed. The throw had been much farther than his first try, but the kid could use some pointers. Here, I played a little long toss. Let me give you some tips on how to throw it farther. The man had a great time playing with the kids. He showed them the fundamentals of the pitch and had them practice for a while. The kids then asked the man to throw the ball. He hesitantly agreed, worried that he would embarrass himself, but his first toss went at least 50 yards. The kids were awed by the man's toss, and the man himself was impressed that he was still able to throw after so long away from the game. They asked the man to toss again, and he continued to see the distance improve. Among the shouting and the excitement of the kids, the man felt a pair of eyes on him. He turned and saw the kindly old man, the whiskers of his beard curling into a smile. That night at dinner, the old man and the man ate in silence. 
The old man lifted his eyes and spoke. I think you're ready to leave. The words sent a jolt of sadness to the man. But I'm still healing. I'm not happy again yet. How can I leave when I have so much more to work on? The old man spoke with tenderness. I taught you all I can teach you, son. It's up to you to learn the rest. The man was nervous. This was his first time going into work since he had screamed at the young sergeant. He tapped his foot nervously at the doorway. The man took a deep breath and stepped in. As soon as he walked in the door, he saw all his comrades lined up waiting for him. For a second, the man thought he was in a nightmare. Then his comrades started clapping and warmly welcoming him back to work. The man breathed a sigh of relief, but was still tense and a little bit embarrassed when his comrades went up and slapped him on the shoulder. The man saw the shy sergeant and pushed away others to approach him. He looked the lad in the eyes, and the man lowered his. I'm sorry. That's no way to act. The lad smiled. It's all right. I forgive you, he said. And some of those things you said, they weren't completely false. Maybe, the man said. But even if they were, that wasn't a way to say them. The man gave the sergeant a warm hug, then he walked towards his office. It was time to work. That weekend, the man went back to town. He laid flowers on his drinking buddy's grave. He apologized for skipping on the funeral and said that if he could have been there, he would. He stood there for a long moment in the summer air with his head bowed, standing above the grave. Then he took a deep breath, said goodbye, and turned around. The man stood at a door with another set of flowers, heart beating in his throat. He brought his hand up to knock but hesitated. Maybe he shouldn't come. Maybe after so long it wasn't appropriate. Before he could reconsider, the door swung open. There was a moment of silence. Hi, the man said as he looked into her eyes. Hi, sweetie, the girl's mother said as she grabbed the man into a big hug. The two chatted over tea. The man had to continue doing the only thing he had done since returning from the forest and apologized profusely for his behavior. The mother accepted. They talked for a long time, reminiscing about the girl, laughing at old stories, and talking about their lives. The mother said she had started dating a businessman in town. That made the man happy. He didn't want her to be alone. They continued to talk about life for a while. Suddenly, she stopped. Oh, I just remembered something. Hold on. The mother scrambled upstairs. She came down with something in her hand. She handed it to the man. Here, it's for you. The man looked at his palm. It was a silver necklace with the girl's rabbit's foot pen on it. She had worn it to every one of the man's games for good luck. The man sat staring at it wordlessly for a few minutes. I, the man stopped. I don't deserve this. I didn't do right by her. The old lady looked deep into the man's eyes. Then do right now. Be the man she loved. Find another girl to make you happy and be true. That's what she would have wanted. The man looked down, humbled. He didn't want this responsibility. Everything he had done before had been to prove himself. Now everything he had to do was to make amends and to honor her memory. The man looked with watery eyes at the mother. Help me put it on. 
The man strode in late to the cafeteria. He had a lot of work to catch up on lately. He grabbed his lunch and asked to sit with a group of lieutenants. Before, the man had often worked through his lunch and ate alone, but he felt that there was no need to work as feverishly as he did before. The work didn't seem as important now. It had been a good distraction before, but now the man didn't need to be so often distracted. I mean, how long do you think he can possibly keep this up? He's at four championships in a row right now. No one else has won more than six, one of the lieutenants said. Who's going to beat him? He had 450 yards in the last round, and he could have had more if he didn't mess up that last pitch, another said. The man leaned into the conversation a little. He hadn't paid attention to long toss since he retired a little over a year ago. A spindly officer spoke up. You know what? I think he breaks the record, with a smug smile on his face. You think he'll get seven wins in a row? The first lieutenant asked. Easy, and you know what? The spindly officer gave a sly pause. I think he breaks the distance record, too. A clamor went up in the table. A couple lieutenants cried out in disgust, while a few remained quiet. The man leaned in further. Who is this new player that they were talking about? The sly officer spoke. He had 470 yards two months ago, and he has only looked better since then. He's still 60 yards away, cried another lieutenant. That record hasn't been touched for 40 years. No one's breaking it. One of the quiet officers murmured, I don't know, maybe. The first lieutenant spoke again. You know, I just realized we have the perfect source to ask. He turned and faced the man. You played against him. Do you think he could do it? The man started from surprise. The man had played against him? Then he realized who they were talking about. The man had remembered thinking that the contender had not seemed so unstoppable when he was faced against the better competition in the tournament. He had won two championships while the man was still active, sure, and there was an argument that he was the best in the sport, but he had been human. From how people talked about him now, he was closer to a god than a man. Hearing what the people said about him, it seemed insane that the man had once beat him in a tournament. The man decided he had to go see for himself. He and a few comrades went to a game together. He sat in the stands staring at the contender. He certainly didn't look much different. A little more mass, but he was hardly the largest guy in the stadium. The man could see that whatever change enabled him to become like that wasn't physical. He tried to see if he could detect something in his posture, or if there was a resolve in his eyes, but the man was too far to see. He decided to wait until the game. Then he would see what changed in the contender. It was nice to relax while watching Long Toss. The man had loved the sport, but he was never able to watch it without stress. Now retired, he felt he could appreciate the game in its entirety, without having to worry about the results, or where the man placed, or who he was better than. Now, for the first time, the man could enjoy it. The announcers started to give their opening spiel while the contestants warmed up. They talked about the contender's streak of dominance, but they gave no indication about why he was so dominant. He continued to listen. You know, Al, before we start, we have a very special guest in the stands. Someone who the game has missed very much. Oh no, the man moaned. The crowd started clapping as the man stood up. It was a polite clap, loud but with no cheering or whistling, the kind of clapping that came 
when an athlete got injured are the kind of clapping given to an old athlete when they are far beyond their prime. The man stood up and accepted the applause graciously. He retired due to the death of his girlfriend a little over a year ago. I'm sure everyone here that stands is sorry for his tragic loss. I know me and Chris certainly are. More polite applause. The man thought of how ridiculous it was that the announcers were audible for most of the stands. Yeah, but you, if you remember, Al, he was one of the few people to beat our champion shortly before he started his magnificent run. Yeah, this guy was looking to really make a statement in the sport. The man's eyes tracked toward the field. He saw the athletes clapping as well. Some he recognized, but most he didn't. Finally, his eyes reached the contender. Or was he the champion now? He looked straight at the man, unclapping and unsmiling. He held the man's gaze for a long moment, too far away for the man to read anything, before the champion turned and started practice again. The man sat back down, glad it was over. The games were starting now. The man sat back and watched. The lineup of contestants mostly presented nothing interesting. There were a few who showed some exceptional skill, and there were a few athletes that the man saw significant improvement in, but it was clear who the man and everyone else came to see. The champion didn't step up with any exceptional poise or swagger. He didn't warm up any differently than any time the man had seen him. He clearly did not hear the crowd chanting his name. But after the first pitch, the man could see what changed. Whereas before the champion had relied more on his massive natural talent than his amazing pitch to win championships, it was now clear that he spent more time perfecting the motion than any of the other athletes. It was the most beautiful pitch the man had ever seen. What was even more impressive was the focus. Despite the crowd reaching a fever pitch, the champion looked the same as if he was training. He was so focused, it was as if no one was watching him at all. The man wondered what had happened. The champion had interacted with crowds before. Where did he get the edge? The champion threw 394 yards in the first round, clearing any other competitor by 30. It was clear when the other two contestants went up to the line that they were terrified or were going up without the slightest thought of winning. It seemed to the man that he had not seen so many mistakes made in the last round of a tournament since he was still playing in the town where he and the champion started. After the first two contestants, the champion went up. His approach was announced by stamping a feet in rhythm from the crowd. The energy was so electric that the man could not help but join in. The champion arrived with no pomp and slammed the first pitch, 115 yards. A roar went through the crowd. The man was stunned. The champion clearly left more in the tank for the final round. The next pitch came in at 102 yards. On the next one, the man saw the champ's foot slid a little as he planted it down behind the line. The champ's only mistake that day, 78 yards. The man looked at the champ for some signs of frustration at his mistake. He showed none. The next pitch was 94 yards. There started to be chatter in front of the upcoming pitch, as electric as the arena was. The champ was only 92 yards from his career best. When he came up to the line, the chanting became deafening. People in the crowd whistled, screamed out declarations of love, and made as much loud, drunken noise as they could. The champ couldn't hear them. He fired a heater down across the field, a hundred yards. The crowd at once reached a crescendo of sound so loud that the man was worried he wouldn't be able to hear after. The champ let out all his satisfaction, jumping and throwing a fist in the air, and then turning to the crowd with arms raised, basking in the applause. 
Man thought he was magnificent. The champ scanned the crowd. He started walking toward the section where the man was sitting, locked eyes and pointed right at him. The people around the man were slightly confused. Why was the champ pointing at them? The champ kept pointing. Eventually, a few people started pointing at the man, and the champ nodded his head. The man looked confused, pointed towards himself, and mouthed, Me? The champ made a gesture to come see him, and the man looked at his comrades, gave a confused shrug, and headed toward the field. The crowd applauded as they did at everything when the man approached the champion. The man offered his congratulations and offered his hand to shake. The champ gripped his hand with firmness and shook it tightly. Any trace of warmness that the champ had had before was completely gone. I'm sorry for your loss, he said. The man felt his heart sink. In the fun of the event, the man had forgotten his grief. I appreciate the condolences, the man said. Why did you call me up here? I, the champ hesitated. I don't know. The man was baffled. The champ had just beaten his career best distance, won his fifth championship in a row, and was on top of the world. Yet he doubted himself, talking to the man. The champ sighed. I'll be honest, when I first met you, I didn't think much. I thought it was funny you were even trying, to be honest. I was nice to you and told you that you inspired me because my father taught me how important it was to be a good sportsman, but I didn't believe it. I assumed I was better than you and left it at that. When I saw you enter the tournament here, I didn't think much of it either. Anyone could win a tournament, and you said you got lucky. But when I saw you improving, how much better you got, and how quickly, I began to take inspiration. I'd think of you when I was training, and I used that to push me harder. The champ paused. He had to take a minute to think of what else to say. I had a rough time the first couple years in this sport. I was too full of myself. I saw myself as deserving of the championships over other people just because of my size and strength. I was lazy, and I got frustrated when my laziness got me poor results. I still won now and then, but I wasn't living up to my potential. The champ paused for a second, looking into the dirt. Then you beat me. The scrawny kid next to me in my first tournament who I was sure wouldn't amount to shit. It rocked me. I spent the next month working non-stop to beat you. I threw all distractions away. That became my goal. The champ turned to look at the man. And you didn't show up. That was an insult. You beat me and didn't even show up to give me a chance to answer. Suddenly, the man got why the champ was so focused on the field. When I heard what happened to you, I became so ashamed. I spent months chasing you, calling you all sorts of nasty names in my mind. And all that time you were suffering. The champ's voice cracked. I think of my own wife now. I couldn't imagine what I'd do if I'd lost her. I'm sorry. The man shook his head. There is nothing to forgive. A referee signaled over. The man and the champ had been talking for a while, and the crowd needed to be dispersed. The champ exhaled. Listen, I understand if you never want to play the sport again, but... He paused again. I would relish the opportunity to get another chance against you. 
The man considered his request in silence. I'll think about it, he said. The champ nodded, slapped the man across the shoulder, and headed over to claim his medal. As the man headed back to his friends, he considered the offer. It was interesting that he left such a distinctive impact on the champ, but he doubted whether or not it was worth it to start up again. The same drive he had to match his cousin was gone. The man felt like he didn't need a championship to prove anything. What would the point of competing be? He had no chance before, and he had no chance now. Certainly with the shape he was in, and even more certainly with how incredible the champ was. The man found the prospect doubtful. Then as he turned to watch the crowd again, he saw the champ. He was hugging someone who was leaning over the railing. A woman with long black hair. Vividly and suddenly, the man recalled in his first tournament when he had stumbled over fans to sit with the girl. The memory hit as it always did, powerfully, and a wave of sadness washed over him. He fingered the chain around his neck, and as he watched, a clear thought emerged. She would want you to play. The man woke up to the sound of his alarm and rolled out of bed immediately. There was no thought of wanting to sleep in. He laced up and ran into the gym. No partner sat there waiting for him. The man had trained relentlessly ever since he decided to end his retirement in long toss. Whereas before the man had occasionally allowed certain slips, not trying hard on a set or not running the hardest toward the gym in his earlier career, he now allowed no such breaks. Anytime the man thought to give himself a break to do one less set in the morning, he fought the feeling. The man thought of the champion working feverishly just to beat him. He thought of the shame of who he was. He thought of how the girl died, how he had let her down, how he had to honor her now. He took on less responsibility and only showed up for seven hours out of the day. Then he spent the afternoon refining and perfecting his pitch. Any little hitch, any extra motion, any variability in his swing needed to be removed. He had failed the girl before. He had turned into a slob because he couldn't deal with her absence. He would not do that again. This time, he would not fail her. The stadium air was cold on that early December morning. The man showed up early to practice. There's a certain quiet about winter that amplifies every sound in the early morning, before everyone else is awake. But walking into the stadium, the man heard a distinct thudding and a shuffling of shoes on sand. The champ interrupted his practice to look at the man. They shared a long glance. The champ nodded and went back to practice. This would be the man's return to the sport. He had been gone for a little over two years. He had spent the last eight months training. Getting back into shape had been easier than the man expected. The time spent with the old man had been more strenuous than perhaps the man remembered. But once he had gotten back in shape, his focus became maniacal. His pitch was better than it ever was before. In practice last week, the man had thrown for 450 yards, his best by far. But that's not why the man chose today to re-enter. It had been two years to the day since the girl had died. The anniversary brought the man back to his grief, to his shame and his behavior, and to every horrible experience of that day. He approached the day with solemnity, with quiet, as if it were a holy day of silence. He began to practice. Slowly, the crowd began to appear. Despite the cold, people still longed to see the champ play. He still had not lost. He was looking for his 14th straight championship that day. Some, however, were delighted to see the man there as well. He had become something of a folk hero, especially popular among the kids, proof that no task was too large if you committed yourself to it. They knew that despite the cold, they would get their money's worth. 
The announcer started up. Wow, looky who we have here. Oh boy, are we in for a show today, Chris said. You know, Chris, we've talked about it. There have been rumblings that he could have been returning. People have said they've seen him training, but we've yet to see him in a... Al slid away from the mic. An assistant leaned over to whisper in his ear. Oh. Al continued. So I'm being told that today is exactly two years since the tragic death of his girlfriend at the age of 23. Chris shifted in his seat. It was always uncomfortable to address tragedy at a sporting event. It never seemed to fit the surrounding atmosphere of joviality that came with sports. People watch sports to forget that kind of thing. Al and Chris knew that their job wouldn't be an easy one when the man came up to pitch. The contestants all waited around the referee for the announcement of the order of the competition. The man was going 30th, the champ was going 4th. The man and the champ patiently waited for their turns. The champ went up to the plate. The crowd watching saw something different as the champ walked up to the plate. His eyes and his gaze kept shifting over to the pit where the other contestants sat. The champ did not look like he was in his own world anymore. But that had no effect. The champ lost no edge, no juice from the distraction. The champ threw for 385 yards. Then a few contestants later, the man walked up to the plate. The crowd got to their feet and clapped when he walked onto the field. The man raised his hand in thanks, but otherwise gave no indication of hearing them. Al and Chris quit their usual chatter and allowed the man to pitch in silence for once. The man looked loose coming to the plate. Many wondered in the crowd how his first pitch would look after two years away. He certainly had to be rusty. The man paused five feet behind the white line. Then he ran and fired a pitch with a grace that could only have come from sheer obsession. The ball went 98 yards. Whoa! Chris explained, forgetting himself. The crowd cheered loudly. It was a magnificent pitch. But was it a mirage? crowd sat on the edge of their seats watching. The man lined up again, ran, and fired another magnificent pitch. This one went 90 yards. No mirage. The man fired two more pitches in the 80s. He had already eclipsed the champ. He went easy on the last pitch and only threw it in the 50s, saving strength for the final round. He had thrown for 405 yards. As he walked back to the pit, he locked eyes again with the champ. The man held his gaze as he walked toward the champ, then continued walking toward his seat. You know, Al, that's the first time anyone's beaten the champ in the first round since nearly a year and a half ago. He's been completely unstoppable in his championship run. Chris gave Al a knowing look. He was hesitant. He wondered if he should speak it into existence, but they both felt it. This, today, was a thing of dreams for announcers. They both felt what was happening, but they dared not to spoil it. You know, folks, we might be in for a show here today, Chris chuckled. The champion, for the first time in a long time, was nervous. He tapped his foot neurotically, not even watching the first contestant. He looked down the bench. The man sat there as still and as calm as if he was waiting for a bus. He did not have any look about him of nerve. Nothing the champion could see revealed anything about what was going on in that head. A lot of the champion's run had been skill, yes, but another part of it was fear. The champion did not trash talk. His father taught him better than that, but he delighted in staring down his opponents. 
He put the fear of God in them. He got in their skulls and played around in there. That was how no one was anywhere close to him. And if someone insulted him or tried to get back at him for his mind games, that would be the worst mistake anyone could make. The anger the champ got from that gave him focus. It placed him directly in the moment. He harnessed the emotion and used it to fuel him. Everyone now knew better than to say anything. But sitting a spot away from him was the man who had insulted him by denying him the right to a rematch. And then when he came back, he thought himself good enough to beat him. The man was sitting there gloating. Does he think he's better than the champ? Just because he beat him in the first round? Anger started to swell up in the champion's chest. He heard his name called, and he walked to the field livid. Yet the anger, the emotion, did not take control over the champ. He was too good for that. He was in control of it, instead of the reverse. He heard not the cry of the crowd nor the announcers. He watched only the ball. He thought again of the man's insult. He'd make him pay. He did not hold anything back from his swing. He threw the ball and did not watch to see how far it went. The ball did not exist for him anymore. He went to grab the next one. Another swing, another turn. The champ did not look toward the scoreboard to see how far the last one went. He felt a little bit of soreness in his arm. He certainly was throwing hard, but the champ did not care. The only thought he had was of anger, of how sorely he wanted to beat the man. He swung even harder this time. He wanted not to diminish the pain, but to amplify it. On the fourth ball, he threw even harder. The champ became aware of some sound, like a tremendous rumble of the ocean. The ground seemed to be shaking. He threw his whole weight on the last ball and let his mind return to reality. The ball landed 120 yards away. Over the sound of the crowd, the champ could barely hear the announcers. He's done it. He's broken a 40-year-long record. He turned to the scoreboard. Next to his name sat his total, 583 yards. He had not only broken the record, he had demolished it. The crowd cheered and hooted. Every sports fan's dream is to see this kind of moment. Most know that a majority of games they go to will be inconsequential. The expected winner will win, the game will likely be interesting, and they will get their money's worth. But with every ticket bought, there comes the chance the small probability that they will witness the extraordinary. The crowd was ecstatic. But the champ did not celebrate. He had not won yet. He knew better now than to doubt the man was competing next. There was no way that the man should be anywhere close to the level he was at now. But the champ had known it. He had seen it in that first round. Whatever limits he thought existed, whatever ceiling others put on him, nothing seemed to stop the man. His resolve had amused then inspired, then terrified the champion, and now all he could do is watch. He gulped, praying that he'd done enough. The man this whole time sat, barely regulating what was happening. He saw the champ break the record, but he didn't think much of it. He'd expected something of that kind of performance after the man beat him in the first round. But his mind didn't stay on the subject long. Instead, he focused on the cold, and recalled how similar the weather was to that day two years ago. Snow had not fallen yet, the air was still frigid, but there was no wind whatsoever. The morning's calm had sounded like a graveyard's. But now the sound from the crowd was enormous. Hearing it reminded him of the girl. She had always come to all of his games. 
She always seemed to cheer the loudest. This was the man's first game without her, but the crowd had sounded like it always did. The man had thought that, if he didn't know any better, the girl was still sitting out there, cheering for him. And for some strange reason, the man got the unshakable feeling that somehow, she was. His name was called. The man stepped to the field. The crowd had this time again quieted down, the man's tragedy overcoming the champion's success. He didn't pay it any mind. He walked up to the dais and picked up the ball, as calmly as any time he had done before. He reflected shortly that this was his first ever pitch in the final round. He remembered the girl one more time. He had failed her memory so many times. He would not fail today. All thoughts cleared. The man ran to the line again and swung. The swing was perfect, and the man put every ounce of strength he could into it. The ball went 115 yards. A shock went through the crowd. This had been unexpected. To see a record-breaking attempt was one thing, but to see it matched immediately? It didn't seem like it could happen. No one was that lucky. Yet when the man swung again, they all saw that it wasn't a fluke. The ball flew 130 yards. The furthest that the champ had thrown his was 128. The solemnity of the moment was completely forgotten. It was almost too good to be true. Many in the crowd wondered if they were dreaming. For the champ to break the record was believable. But this? The crowd watched with anticipation. Alan and Chris were at a loss. Nothing they said could capture what they were witnessing. No analysis needed to be given. It was all perfectly understandable. The man threw again. 112 yards. The announcers could do nothing but relay the score. Every extra word they said would only take away from the moment. The contender sat in the pit with a lump in his throat. A chant was going through the crowd now. The crowd was calling the man's name. The contender found the waiting to be the worst and the hardest part. He looked into the crowd. He saw one figure in the crowd, not chanting. A beautiful black-haired woman was closing her eyes and her fingers were interlocked in a prayer. The contender smiled. That was the woman he loved. He forgot the tournament for a moment. Then he looked at the man. There was something so sad, so lonely about his countenance. His performance was of a form relentless, but his face and his posture showed something else. It was visible that the man had been through something most people couldn't begin to imagine. And yet he stood there still, despite everything, competing. The contender suddenly felt ashamed again, that he allowed his anger to boil over. He even got upset that he competed how he did, that he broke the record at this time. This was the man's moment, and the contender had stolen it. But there was still a chance that he could have it back. The contender started chanting. Joining in with the crowd had broken the silence that was in the pit. The other competitors stared at him like he was crazy. Then suddenly a few joined in, then more, then all were chanting. The contender looked at the man, part of him still wanting to win the championship, but another part of him wanted to be beaten. He wanted to have something more to aspire to, another shadow to chase. And if the contender could have chosen anyone to beat him, he found no better candidate than the man. The man threw again, 108 yards. The pit exploded with applause. The man stood there. The moment was too great not to appreciate. The whole crowd was standing and cheering his name. 
He'd imagined this moment for a long time, but certainly not like this. Not without her. He had one pitch left, 118 yards, and he would beat the champion. A tall order, but not impossible. The man's arm throbbed. He knew that after the tournament he would be in some serious pain. But now that seemed not to matter. Only one thing mattered. He grabbed the last ball, and his free hand clutched the girl's necklace. He stood there and prayed for a short moment. Then he ran three furious steps towards the white line. The man went through every motion of his pitch, throwing every reserve of strength he had into it. Despite searing pain, the pitch was perfect. He watched it leave his fingers and sail through the air. The whole crowd was silent. All sat on their seats in anticipation. The ball sailed far into the air. It seemed to hang and hang for a million years. The man felt his heart beating through his arm. The pain afterwards would be serious. But all that mattered at that moment was the ball. It crashed into the sand, sinking just below the 115-yard line. A gasp went through the crowd. The man collapsed, half out of exhaustion and half out of despair. His hands clutched the back of his head, his knees collapsed, and his face had fallen into the dirt. He had failed. When all the world depended on it, when he had a chance to solidify himself, when he had a chance to honor the girl's legacy, he came up short. He made no mistakes, had left not even a drop in the tank, and still lost. For a moment, it seemed like losing was all the man could ever do. He cried quietly in the dirt. Then he heard a clapping, quiet at first, solemn, and then growing in volume. The man picked himself up and looked at the crowd. The whole crowd was on their feet. Impossible, Chris said. No one ever expected that this young man would place himself among grace in the sport, but he's proved everybody wrong here today. The whole crowd was now on their feet. Everyone was cheering for him. It was almost exactly like the cousin had described it. The man stood up, his despair melting away. In place of it now was awe. Had he really just done that? He looked toward the scoreboard. There was his name with the number 578, which would be the second highest distance of all time, and up until that day would have been the first. The man wiped dirt off his face and graciously accepted the applause. For the first time, he felt the honor of having reached so many people. Emotion started to swell up in his chest. The thought came to him that the girl should be there cheering too. But something again, some weird feeling, told him that the girl was there and that she was proud. Tears welled in the man's eyes from the applause. He balanced himself upon the dais not wanting to cry in front of so many people. But before he could control himself any longer, he saw a large, tall figure approach him. The champion grabbed the man in a tight hug, and the man cried on his shoulder amid the applause. The man couldn't compete for the month after his performance. He had pulled a muscle in his arm and barely trained until close to when the competition started. His next performance, he came down to earth and only placed fifth in the tournament. The champion won again. A year then passed, and the man came no closer to winning a championship. He placed highly in the rounds and even won second place two more times, but he never broke through to win the big one. The man, though, couldn't care less. He had solidified his legacy. 
He had placed himself in the record books, and he had honored the girl with the performance of a lifetime. It didn't matter much then that it came up short. There was no shame in losing to the greatest of all time. The champion streak ended at 17 championships. He lost by four in the final round, after only putting up 394 yards. He was currently riding another championship streak, but he was losing a little bit of his consistency. He never again came close to matching that December performance. Unlike the man, that ate away at the champion. It would be a few years before he came to terms that he wouldn't achieve that feat again. The man still competed, but not with the same ferocity as before. He trained hard, but he found that keeping up his previous regimen had been untenable, and it caused more issues than it solved. He decided to play for fun now, and he did not hold on so tightly to the results at each round. He stayed because of the atmosphere, and because he knew that one day he wouldn't be able to compete anymore. During the July tournament, the man had another middling performance, 349 yards and 7th place. He watched as the champion streak was broken once again, and he could see the frustration mounting in the champion's face. It was hard for a man to grapple with his own decline. The man headed out the arena. He had things to do that night. He was seeing a woman. She seemed nice, but the man was not sure if he liked her that much. Dating didn't bring him too much joy, but he felt that he should at least be trying. He was reaching the age when he felt he had to get married. He was 25, and he could see his 30s approaching soon. He walked out of the stadium deep in thought when a voice called his name. He turned and looked. It was a young kid, about 19 years of age. What's up, buddy? You want an autograph? He was across the fence railing looking at the man. The boy looked puzzled. Do you not remember me? The man looked deep in his face. It clicked. It was a boy from the village, six years younger than him. He had an exclamation of joy and went to hug the kid. The man had not seen anyone from the village since he had left. He had sent money and a letter every now and then, but he'd forgotten to write the last few years. Hey, how you been, the man asked. Gosh, you've grown. How's the village? It's been doing well. Nothing ever really changes there, the boy said. That's great to hear, the man said. Hey, I know a good place to eat nearby. We'll sit and talk. My treat. The kid agreed, and they went to the restaurant. They sat for a while after ordering the cool July shade. A bit of awkward silence. I uh, heard about what happened to your girlfriend. I'm sorry, the kid finally said. The man sighed. The old man was right. That grief never seemed to go away. I appreciate your condolences. But the village has heard of what you did in that December championship. You're the pride of the village now. A lot of people my age want to live up to you. The man smiled humbly. It's good, yeah, but winning a championship in less than three years is still damn impressive. Bet my cousin still holds that over me. The kid snorted. The man looked at him with confusion. He wasn't joking. I've started playing. Really? The man asked. Well, good on you. It's a great sport. The kid paused nervously. Do you have any tips? It would be great to learn from someone who's one of the best in the sport. Did you not ask my cousin? The man asked, something he regretted leaving the village without doing. The kid laughed at that one. Then he saw the man's expression. Oh, of course, you don't know. The kid cleared his throat. About a year after you left, a loan shark came to our village looking for your cousin. 
Turns out that he borrowed a lot of money in order to buy that fancy outfit he came back to the village into. He spent those three years trying and failing to do anything. He joined the military and was a lousy soldier, so they canned him eventually. He didn't want to come back a failure, so he got this brilliant idea. He would fake that he had been a massive success and would come back to the village a hero. Because who would know better? It's not like we get any news. He bought that outfit and said that a scratch he got during a drunken fight was a wound from combat. He made the whole thing up. The man listened open-mouthed. What about that gold medal he had? That was real gold. Gilded, the kid said. He bought that too. The man couldn't believe it. All this time he thought he hadn't lived up to the standard that his cousin had set for the village. The man constantly compared himself to the cousin. He had for years felt such insecurity that he wasn't as good as he was. That insecurity fueled him. It made him who he was today. He had struggled violently to achieve the same heights that the cousin reached, only to find out he spent half of his life chasing a lie. The man cracked up. The absurdity was too much to handle. Then he laughed heartily and long, till tears streamed down his cheeks. That's great, he said, and chuckled a little while longer. Oh, the man said. Well, what happened? What's he up to now? The kid shrugged. Well, he started drinking. Couldn't deal with the shame of being the town clown. Couldn't deal with being a disgrace. The kid looked for the waiter. Last I heard, things weren't going too well for him. The whole town had to bail him out for the loan he took. No one wants anything to do with him. The man felt bad for his cousin. He could relate to his plight. Poor guy, he said. The man and the kid kept talking. The man gave the kid a few pointers on his long toss game, where to work out, what coaches to see, and other tips on things like hard work and discipline. The man took the check and the two of them headed out. The kid gave the man a hand to shake. You know, it's hard to believe all this stuff. I remember you as just any other boy. It's hard to imagine all those things I heard coming from that 16-year-old kid, but... He paused. You didn't disappoint. The man chuckled. I got seventh today. I didn't even do that well. All we did was eat. How could I have impressed you that much? The kid thought. I can see all of it in how you hold yourself. It's in the way you walk. The man blushed, flattered. They hugged goodbye and went their separate ways. Years passed. The man was now 30. He and the champion still competed in tournaments, but neither of them were even close to what they had been in their prime. They came out as legacy acts, two juggernauts at the end of long careers, who came out every month to place 15th or 17th, or maybe sometimes in the top 10. But they were no match for the up-and-coming young talent. One day as the man walked up to the stadium, he noticed something. A mural had been painted, of the moment they had after their duel years ago. The embrace they had when the man came up short. The man stood staring at it for a long while. All the other contestants passed him, but one stood there standing too, the champion. He watched mournfully, as if he wanted to jump back into the mural and return to that very day. The man took one last look at the mural, slapped the champ on the shoulder, and headed out onto the field. The man had not dated anyone for about a year. He didn't feel the time or the place was right, and he couldn't seem to find anyone who stuck here. No one in the city could understand him. 
When he had gotten deeper into other relationships, he felt at times his old village life upbringing would be at odds with their city life. He could get them, but they could never get him. The only one who ever understood that had been the girl. But in any case, that did not bother him too much. The man knew he would succeed in that sphere eventually. It was just a matter of time. Where his dating life and his sports career were not doing too well, the man flourished in his career. He had taken on a lot of responsibilities now, and his work was the focus of his life. He made a good bit of money from it now, too. He bought a nice apartment, he started to wear fine watches again, and he allowed himself the occasional nice suit. But the money all seemed empty now, with no family to spend it on. One day, the man had been with some comrades in the bars after work hours. The man never drank anymore, but he enjoyed the company. He decided to walk the others home. It was only 7 o'clock, so none of the men would get in any trouble. At the first house, the man's comrade walked up to his doorstep, only for his daughter to run out the door and into her father's arms. The mother stood there watching, with a tender smile on her lips. The comrade waved back to his friends and entered inside. The man dropped off his other comrade and headed home. He was melancholy. The scene of the comrade's family had bothered the man. The man had been a bit jealous of the comrade's wife and his family, yes. He didn't long to be a part of that. But what bothered him most was the mother. The way she stood in the doorway reminded him of his own mother, who waited for him at the door every day after school. He realized it had been much more than a decade, nearly 14 years since he last saw her. The man had already reached the peak in his sports career. He had a lot of money, and he had no problem finding a woman who wanted him. Yet the man was lonely. He had all these things, and yet none of them seemed to find him much happiness. He recalled earlier days, when all that was required for him to be happy was to hear his mother's voice, or to see his father smile. It was long overdue. The man had to go home. The man entered the village cautiously. He wore a simple uniform, the same he wore every day to work. As he walked into town, no one recognized him. There were some whispers. Who was this soldier who decided to visit this reclusive town? What did he want? The man did not try to draw attention to himself. He approached the indoor market where his mother worked. He walked up to the counter. His mother had lines around her eyes and she now wore glasses, but the man could still recognize her distinct beauty. The mother didn't look up from her paper. If you're going to ask if we have any cigarettes, we're all out, she said flatly. Mom, it's me. The mother looked up. She either did not recognize or did not believe the man. Her eyes were scanning the man's face. Mom, I'm home, the man said. Then the floodgates broke. The mother threw her arms around her son and wept. All at once, the town knew who had arrived. It did not take long for the man to be pulled in every direction. A swarm of kids and teenagers nearly carried him to the stump at the end of the street to ask him every detail about his story. He sat and tried to calm them down, but a million questions came at him at once. The man stayed quiet, letting the children settle down before he answered. Soon they all shushed each other and waited. Now, the man said, one at a time. Can I touch your medals? One of the young boys asked. The man chuckled. He pulled out three silver medals from his sack and gave them to the kids to pass around. How'd you do it? Another kid asked. The man didn't need context. I worked very, very hard, he said. I was... The man paused. Part of him wanted to gloat, to show all these kids looking up to him 
that he was just as cool as they thought he was. Then he remembered his cousin and how his words had affected him. I worked toward it every day. I knew that if I just set my mind to something that I could achieve it. The case is the same for all of you too. Do you think I could be a champion? One of the larger boys asked. The man looked at him with a smile. If I was that close, then anyone can. After the questions from the young kids were all satisfied, the man had someone else he needed to see. The man asked around and was told to go to the local bar. The man entered the dingy bar room. There were a few people drinking in the back. The bartender was cleaning glasses away behind the bar, singing to himself. He was singing a song the man was very familiar with, about an artist who fell in love with an actress. Looking around, the man saw him. A fat drunk laid slumped down with his face at the table. A stab of pity hit the man. He wondered if he should leave. Утром ты станешь у окна, Может, сошла ты с ума. The man, however, continued forward. As much as the cousin's lie had led him astray, without it the man would never have reached the heights he reached. He would never have reached his potential. It was his duty now to help him. Как продолжение сна, площадь цветами полна. He approached his cousin steadily, measuring his step, not wanting to scare him. The man could feel his heart beating in his chest. Похолодеет душа, что за богачий здесь чудит. The man approached the drunk. Cousin, he said softly. No response. The man shook him. The drunk was fast asleep. А под окно чудыша бедный художник стоит. The man sighed. Maybe some people were beyond helping. He turned to walk out the bar. When he turned, however, the bartender stopped singing. Oh ho! The conquering hero returns! He jumped over the bar top. Cousin, how good to see you, he said. The barkeep was balding and he grew a little bit of a gut, but now getting a clear look at him, the man could see that this was his cousin. The cousin threw his arms around the man, who was still in shock at what he was seeing. The cousin's smiling face looked toward him. Oh, I want to hear about everything, but first I owe you a drink. What's your poison? The man was still stunned, but he spoke. I don't drink, he said. The cousin wagged a finger at him. Smart man. I can't do it anymore either. Made me slip into bad times. Makes you think how I ended up owning a bar, huh? Can I get you a soda, maybe? A root beer? The man accepted, and the cousin went to fill up two glasses. Uh, the man asked. Is he going to be all right? Pointing at the drunk. Oh, him? The cousin asked. He's fine. He gets sleepy this time of day. I usually have to get his wife in to carry him now. But sometimes even the threat of her can get him out of here. The drunk stirred at that comment. You see, the cousin said, gesturing, go back to sleep. No one's sending you home. The drunk laid his head back down. The cousin finished pouring and set the flagons on the table. Now, he said, tell me everything. The man told the story. The cousin asked plenty of questions along the way and remained very jovial when appropriate. 
He asked many questions about the tournament, as everyone had, but he seemed very interested in the kindly old man for some reason. The cousin nodded along when he heard about the wisdom the old man had taught. The man had not expected this level of insight from his cousin. He had not expected this at all. As interested as the cousin was in the man, the man was far more interested in understanding what happened to his cousin. He reached the end of his story. The cousin leaned in. So what made you want it? The girls, the money, the championships? The man answered plainly. You had them. So you bought all that shit I was spinning. <laughs> the cousin laughed. Then you went out and really did it. You're one crazy bastard, man. The man chuckled at that. About that, the man said. I heard a few things happen since I left. The cousin took a swig, but his eyes darkened. What do you know up to? He asked. You were uh, drinking your problems away, the man said. Ah, the cousin said. I can skip the sad part then. Yeah, when I got found out, I took it pretty hard, the cousin continued. I didn't want everyone to see how much of a failure I was, and in trying to hide that, I looked even worse. I, I hated that feeling. I couldn't deal with it. So I started drinking. It didn't help, but it did keep my mind off it. I drank and drank. Then one day I got so drunk I woke up in the town well. It took four men to try and fish me out. After that day, I decided never to drink again. Then I started to look at myself. I didn't really like who I saw. All my life, all I had done turned to shit because I never approached it with any kind of honesty or effort. The cousin paused. I had known it for a long time, but it took me becoming the town fool to realize it. So I decided to change. I got a job working in the fields. It was hard work and I hated it, but that made it good. I made good money, too. I had more money since I stopped drinking. Eventually, I was the hardest worker in that field. I went in every day knowing that I was one drink, one bad day away from becoming the same worthless slob I was before. The cousin tapped the table. That pushed me, and after a few years of hard work, people began to recognize that I wasn't the same old fool they'd known before. I also found that I had a talent for organization. When I talk, people listen. Believe me. So I started organizing village events, which the cousin pulled a pamphlet from his back pocket. You should consider joining. There's a cute girl who goes to this one, cousin. I'm sure she's right up your alley. The man nodded, but he wanted to hear more of the cousin's story. So what was I saying? Oh, yeah. The cousin snapped. People started recognizing that I wasn't the same. I didn't have the glory or the money anymore, but I worked hard and made the place better. That, in some ways, my friend, is better. He stuck a finger in the man's chest. That way, I was able to eat my wife. We have a baby daughter, your niece, and another one coming along the way. Come around sometime. You have to meet them. Actually, wait. I think I have a picture somewhere. The man looked at the picture. The family was smiling and beautiful. Wow. So you really turned your life around. The cousin grinned. Yeah, I did. He paused. But you know, I'm not so ashamed of those times when I was a drunk anymore. Sure, they weren't much fun, but... The cousin got lost in thought. I can't say I like going through them, the cousin continued. But all those things, all those terrible times, all those misfortunes I put myself through, they were all lessons. The flaws in my character led me to those choices, and I suffered the consequences. 
but I took the best of it. I went through and learned. Even though I hated living through them, the cousin paused again, mouth open. Without them, I would never become the man I am today. I needed those hardships, that adversity, to figure out how I could be somebody that I was proud of. There was a long period of silence. Or that could be all some bullshit and I'd be better off without him, the cousin laughed. What do you think, cousin? The man smiled. I think you're right. The man walked down the village street. He had just finished picking up a few things from the market for him and his wife when he heard a sound behind the market. A young girl was crying in the alleyway. The man looked down at her and recognized her instantly. It was his niece. The man put the groceries away and knelt next to her. Hey, sweetie, what's wrong, he asked. The girl could hardly speak through choked sobs. All the man could pick out was a boy's name, but that was enough. The man knew what she was crying about. The boy had a reputation in the village. I just, she said, I just miss him so much. I know he's no good, but, she sobbed, I can't stand to lose him. For a second, anger flared in the man's heart. Who is this stupid girl to be crying about something so insignificant? She had no conception of loss, no way to know what it was like to lose somebody you loved. And here she sat, crying over some stupid boy. But then the man watched the feeling, and it faded away as quickly as it came. He put a comforting arm on his shoulder. I know. It'll pass. In a month or two, you'll be glad you aren't seeing him anymore. This will all seem silly, he said. She raised two teary eyes to look at him. How do you know? she asked. The man gave her a keen glance. I know, he said with conviction. The man's strong devotion did not fade when he returned to the village. However, instead of focusing his energy on selfish pursuits or career achievements, he gave himself wholly to his family. After he met his wife, the man threw himself into his role in the family. He helped his old mother and made sure that his cousin's children got along with his own. He took his children on vacations and read with them daily. Though the man had much to say and to teach his children, he preferred to lead by example, to demonstrate discipline and kindness rather than try and coax it out of his kids. As the years drew on, the man's kids grew up and went away as he had. Many teenagers had gone up to him after he had returned from the world and asked him many times for advice, and he always gave it heartily. But he felt true melancholy when his own kids left. He was lonely without him. He regretted very much how he made his mother feel. He shouldn't have been away for so long. None of his kids had gone for as long as he had, thankfully. His kids eventually had kids of their own, and the man had gotten the unique joy of being a grandfather. He knew he shouldn't have picked favorites, but he became so attached to his second grandson that he would take him for walks in a stroller for hours a day at a time. Many wives chastised their husbands that they were not even half the father or the grandfather that the man was. The man spent as much time as he could with his grandson. And then more years passed. And the young grandson, to the old man's surprise, did not stay young forever. He turned into a strapping young lad, more like the old man than anyone else in the family. The grandson was now 16, and the man was getting near to old age. He still kept a great physique, but as the man often said now, Father Time is undefeated. The grandson decided that it was time for him to leave. He needed to find his place in the world as well. 
The grandson told his mother about the decision, and she cried but allowed him to go. Before he left, he had one last person to see. Sitting on that same old stump where he had answered all the kids' questions, and where he had also asked questions of his cousin, sat the old man, quietly basking in the sunlight. Hi, Grandpa, the grandson said wearily. Oh, the old man said. If it isn't the conqueror, are you ready to go and rule the world? The grandson chuckled nervously. Who told you? He asked. Your mother, the old man said. She wanted me to ask to stop you. Are you going to? The grandson asked. The old man smiled, beard curling as he did so. I'll tell her I gave it my best shot. The two laughed. The old man raised a finger. I have something for you. The grandson expected some money or some kind of keepsake to remember the old man by. Instead, the old man reached for the clasp around his silver necklace, took the chain off, and handed it to the boy. The grandson stared at it, stunned. He didn't speak for a long while. I can't take this, he said. Why not? I'm giving it to you, the old man said. It belongs to you. you you've always had it. And now it's yours, the old man said. Don't be humble. Take it. The grandson looked at it. He, for the first time, saw that the pendant at the end of it was a rabbit's paw. So you're off? The old man asked. Basically, the grandson said. Well, make sure to be careful, son. You wouldn't want to worry your mother, the old man said. The grandson stood there for a moment. There uh, may be one more thing, he said. And what is that? asked the old man. The grandson fidgeted. Do you have any advice, any wisdom to give me before I go? The old man gave him an inquisitive look. Let me ask you first this. Why do you want to go? Well, I want to go for the same reason you went. To get experience, to get riches, to get glory, to get girls? The old man asked. The grandson flushed, and the old man gave a hearty laugh. But why do you want those things? The old man asked. Why is it so important that you have to leave the village? The old man had asked this question a hundred times. Every single time, the answer was the same. People wanted to leave to prove themselves as worthy for success as the people around them. They wanted the glory and the riches and the love so they could know they weren't just another insignificant figure in the crowd. That their life had meaning that they could be recognized and seen as more than just what others expected them to be. That's why the man left. That's why everyone left. But the old man did not expect what came out of his grandson's mouth next. Grandpa, you've done nothing but been devoted to me and the whole family. I don't know what I did to deserve this special treatment from you. Sometimes, I'll be honest, I did not feel worthy of it. I am proud that I am my own man, of course but I am also proud of how much I get from you. I want to go and honor you. Since before I could even recognize it, you have done nothing but help me. I know I can never repay you, but I can follow your example. I can live life and try to approach it the same way you did. I can go out into the world and try to make myself a man without your guidance. But to live in any other way than you did, with how much you've given, with how good you were to me and to everyone, would not only be foolish, the grandson paused, it would be ungrateful. 
The old man watched his grandson with a smile. Then he got up from his stump. So do you have any advice for me? The grandson asked. No, the old man said. I don't think I have anything else left to teach you. Good luck, son. I'll be looking forward to hearing all the things you'll do. Influences. Rocky. Siddhartha. Candide. The Alchemist. Mount Erie. A crow looked at me. Better Call Saul. The Dalai Lama. The crook Brett Favre's Monday night football game on 12-22-03. Michael Jordan's 1997 Father's Day Championship. Dallas Braden's Perfect Game. Models by Mark Manson. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Thank you for listening. This has been A Million Scarlet Roses. Read by the author, Eddie Kaczynski.